Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, December 21, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Historically, today would be the day after National Signing Day. That would have been, you know, the, um, I mean, we went from one day to early signing and then the other signing day is, I think, in February, whenever. Uh, now you got transfer portals and NIL deals and, you know, this, we're waiting on some other players to get into the portal. Um, I mean, the game that I grew up with is fundamentally different. I mean, it's just fundamentally different. And as much as I grew up loving the game, I'm falling out of love with the game as we speak. I'll, I'll tell you, college football today, I don't much like it. I, I just, I'm burnt out with it. I'm fed up with it. I'm, I'm distraught over it. And I'm not blaming the kid. I want to reiterate. I want to make perfectly clear. I am not blaming the kid, nor should you. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, when a kid has no opportunity to take advantage of his political skill, except when he signs an NFL contract, and all of a sudden they have just uncontrollable amounts of control, they're doing what you and I would probably do. They're maximizing that advantage. They're taking ultimate advantage of having no leverage. Now the majority of leverage lies in the hand of, believe it or not, the people who produce the product that generates the revenue. Um, we've got to figure this out, though. We better do it in a hurry because I'm hearing donors. I mean, I'm hearing wealthy donors say, no mas. I mean, I, I'm not doing that. I mean, I want to be good in football, but not to that extent extreme. You got hungry people. You got sick people. You got a world going awry. Stop coming to me to ask me to write another check so my college football team can win another bowl game or championship or whatever, uh, what whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the NCAA should be not allowed to be in control of college football ever again anymore. I mean, they've um, they so squandered uh, the opportunity to be visionary and um, incremental and do some things along the way. That, have, um, that would have aided the betterment of the game, and they just absolutely dug in, hunkered down. We don't want some of the money. We don't want most of the money. We want all of the money. And I think it's it's we got to understand this. The NCAA is what? It is a collection of the member institutions. So, so think of this, guys. The, the, the college athlete generates the revenue. The revenue is collected by the university. The university then asks the fan base to pay a little more to pay the players that generate the revenue that the university collects. How stupid is a fan base? I mean, how how, how blindly loyal are you to Clemson or South Carolina? I mean, in our case, that would be the majority of, of listeners. And, and maybe I've been blindly loyal for longer than I should have been but I ain't going to be blindly loyal um, much longer. I'll uh -oh. assure you. Uh -oh. Just think about it, Rev. If they've lost you, though. But, I mean, they, they not lost me. But, I mean, think of this. So, so the NCAA is the member institutions. That includes the Gamecocks and Tigers. I mean, let's be personal here. Forget Alabama and Texas and, and Boston College and Georgia Tech. I mean, let's talk Gamecocks and Tigers. They are member institutions of the NCAA. That's who they are. The NCAA has been in control of college football. Well, they got a college football association. But anyway, um, amateur athletics, college athletics 
has been managed terribly by the NCAA. So once again, think of this. The college athlete generates the revenue. Well, I mean, let's back up a step further than that. The college athlete produces the product that a certain segment of our population have an interest in. As a result of having that interest, revenue is generated. TV deals, um, going to games, concession sales, parking, Iptay, Gamecock Club, all the ancillary ways you benefit from people enjoying sports. College sports are popular. People like to go watch Duke and North Carolina play basketball or the Gamecocks and Tigers play football. Um Florida and Mississippi State playing baseball. Um, you see where I'm, how many revenue sports, non-revenue sports? Anyway, people like watching sports. So the college football player, I'm using football in particular because yesterday was National Signing Day. So college football got to a place where it generated not a little bit of revenue, but enormous revenue. The university collects that enormous revenue. They provide a scholarship and some stipends, I think, or some ancillary benefit. I mean, there's some ancillary benefit. I went to Walford for a brief period of time, summer to semester. Um, we got to eat at a different time than the normal student body. I mean, we could eat all the bowls of Jello we wanted to uh, at a different time than the normal student body. So there was a little benefit to being a player, to being an athlete, to being somebody on on a team. But but all of a sudden, the millions become hundreds of millions. The hundreds of millions become become billions. And the NCAA had ample opportunity to say, hey. There's trouble coming if we don't create a more equitable model. And they just dug in and hunkered down and tripled down and quadrupled down. And out of that came a lawsuit. And nobody believed the incident had solid footing. Nobody believed they had grounds to stand on. So, so instead of the NCAA that consists of the member institutions saying, you know, hey, we've been, we've been found out. I mean, the courts have said – you're running a bad business model. I mean, you're, you're basically running an illegal scam is what the court said. I mean, to the NCAA, including the Gamecocks and Tigers, you're participating in a pretty illegal scam. I mean, you're, you're working people and not paying them for, for their labor. So the NCAA, member institutions, instead of saying, yeah, we need to figure out a way to pay these players, they went to the fans and said, would you guys, I mean, the, the same fans that built the stadiums, built the parking garages, you know, funded the teams, um, have buildings named after big donors. That wasn't good enough. I don't know. The, the universities went to the fans and said, hey, we've got this problem now. We've had these kids playing and not being paid. We collected all this revenue. Now we've got to pay them a little something or other. Will you help us with that? Will you create these collectives, third-party arrangements, and, and kind of go to the marketplace and see what some of these kids um, need to sign back up with the Gamecocks? It's just a disgusting model. I mean, it's a disgusting situation. And what's even more disgusting is the fans that blame the players. I mean, the people that really know the situation, I don't know anybody that really understands how we got here that blames the kid. I mean, some kids are jerks. Guess what? That's not new. I mean, that's not some new phenomenon. Some kids are jerks. Some kids are ambassadors to your university. Some kids do the right thing. Some kids do the wrong thing, but, but the, the ultimate wrong headed thing to me is go back to the donors and say, Hey, will you create this third party arrangement to pay these kids? Cause we want to keep building buildings and dorms with rock walls and Starbucks coffee houses inside and, um, you know, attract an even better quality 
student athlete. I mean, it's just an absurd and, and ridiculous model. It's and not I find, sustainable. What do we do? It's it, not. No. Because what, what motivates the donation? I mean, if you're a regular, let's just say you're a regular person that has decided that it's you know valuable and worth it to you to become a $50 a month you know, donator. All right. And that's just money that's you know, going into the collective and you don't know from there. And if your team doesn't win, I mean, you expect for your investment, the difference is your team's going to win. Well, you come out with a, a five win season at the end. I mean, but, but here's where you're headed. You see the writing on the wall. The people at South Carolina and Clemson, the Clemson shouldn't be as angry about it as South Carolina. The problem with the Gamecock fan base, and I'm one, the problem with the Gamecock fan base, they have been conditioned to fund institutionalized mediocrity. I mean, I've said oh, that yeah. over and over again, and I get in trouble with some of my, I mean, when I call the university now and ask for a better parking spot or a couple of extra tickets to a midweek basketball game, I don't get the response I once did. I mean, I know why. I mean, I, I'm not as um, well-received. I'm a bit outspoken in my criticism of the university's athletics department. Clemson has a reason to go from a million to two million. They put um, trophies in the trophy case. They've won championships. The Gamecock fan base over the 100 years of being mediocre in, in football, they've institutionalized that, and we've accepted that. So here's where we're headed. I mean, you can rest assured this is the next step in the in the process. The Gamecocks and Tigers, I mean, once again, Clemson's put trophies in the trophy case, but the Gamecocks and Tigers get to mid next year and somebody knocks on your door because you've shown a, a willingness to give. You've given to the Gamecock Club. You've given to Uptay. You've given a little money to Collective. You know what? They're going to knock on your door and say, hey, we raised $4.5, 5000000 million last year, but the teams we're competing with, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Auburns, the Texas, the LSUs, the Floridas, the Tennessees, they raised $10 million. We got to raise $10, 5000000 million more dollars if we expect to be competitive. There's always an excuse for not being competitive. It's little old South Carolina. You know, um, it's it's we're we're facing all these legacy and tradition brands, and they are. There's no doubt about it. Grow up, I mean, grow a set, be man enough to be visionary and and create a plan that leads to a more competitive football program. And that's why I think um, some of the fan bases will fall by by the way. So five million's not enough. I mean, we gave you all this money to build all these wonderful buildings and, and amenities, and you're telling me that's not enough. So you came back to me and said, hey, we lost this lawsuit. Now we're going to pay these players. You're asking me to pay the players that you should be paying. I mean, we had a, a discussion yesterday about the, the kid becoming an employee of the, the university. I mean, that's antitrust. I mean, you start getting into, did we pay the kid for overtime? Does he deserve uh, paid time off? Does he get the benefit of, I mean, at right-to-work states? some of the non-right-to-work states. I mean, you get into all kind of labor laws once you create that arrangement that the university is the employer and the kid is the employee. And I understand the the third-party arrangement allows you to escape some of that liability. That that um, It's a little bit like the FedEx model. I don't know if you saw this or not, but there's a um, – this will get political. You ready? There's a lawsuit of a FedEx contractor in Oregon and Washington. The difference in FedEx – I mean, they're in my neighborhood until 10 o'clock at night now delivering, you know, whatever it is people order online for Christmas. But the UPS driver works for UPS. I mean, he's an employee of UPS. Um, the way FedEx has gained market share is having an arrangement that the UPS, excuse me, the FedEx driver is not an employee of FedEx. I mean, they're a third-party contractor. They're local businesses that have 10, 12, 15, 20 employees. They have a contract. 
I mean, they're a service provider for FedEx, and they're responsible, Ref, for your neighborhood and my neighborhood and certain territories. Um, independent service providing contracts is what um kind of the language is. Well, there's a person in Oregon, um, a retired airline pilot, bought some FedEx routes saying, I'm not an independent contractor. You run my business. You just let me make the truck payments. You let me pay the workers' comp and health insurance. And if something goes south, I'm responsible for going to see the bank. And, and this lady, it's a lady who bought some routes, and she's now challenging the legal arrangement, what makes an independent contractor and what not makes an independent contractor. Because what FedEx has done, I mean, FedEx has basically gotten real creative in contract law by saying, you know, we don't own that business. I mean, that guy owns that business. And if he fails to get that product to your front step, it's not FedEx's fault. It's his fault. And there's an interpretation. I mean, it's very ambiguous. Let, let's be candid. Josh owns the logistics business, but FedEx runs it. I mean, they let Josh go borrow all the money, buy all the trucks, hire all the employees, deal with all the headache of trucks breaking down and and, um, and employees not showing up for work. But FedEx owns the business. And some person in Oregon is taking FedEx to court that may end up being a class action lawsuit about the um, the arrangement of the independent contractor model. If you run my business, you don't, I mean, I'm not really a contractor. I'm an employee. You just don't have to pay my health insurance. You're not responsible for, for workers' comp. You know, I am. So, so anyway, that would be similar. I mean, the FedEx, in all honesty, the FedEx third-party contract is similar to the way college football is trying to provide compensation for its student athletes. I don't work for the university. I mean, I work for Garnet Trust. I work for whatever the name of the, uh, the IPTA um, collective is. And it's just a, it's a horrible model. And it's so, ah, it's so ridiculous that the NCAA allowed, I guess, I mean, other than March Madness, I mean, it's the cash cow of college athletics. Everybody knows that. Uh, our good friend, the bad boy sports radio, big college football, excuse me, college basketball fan, loves March Madness. I mean, it generates enormous revenue. But I think he will even admit that the lion's share of the money generated that funds all these wonderful programs doing these wonderful things is football especially down south. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, it's very interesting. I've tried to really better understand um, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. There's a lot of interpretation. Engage in an insurrection does not mean convicted of an insurrection. I mean, there, there's some legal scribbling um, going on as we speak about what that entails or doesn't. I mean, I think the majority, Dershowitz gave uh, a, a good explanation about the absurdity of believing this applies in this particular situation or circumstance. But here we are, and I, and I stand by my comments yesterday. I actually went back and read some of what um of Jefferson said because Jefferson really thought that some of the founders were naive in believing that judges were superhuman. That you know, once they put that robe on, they they become impartial i mean it's like remember um remember wonder woman had those on it that honest lasso or whatever you know she'd put you in that that lasso Lasso of truth yeah the lasso of truth um what wonder woman do you remember um josh gal gadot okay linda carter would be rev and i Mm -hmm. um yeah uh anyway um yep (laughs) just remembering did you say (laughs) yep i did okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, I do too. Um, anyway, um, that was the appropriate response. Yeah, there there was a lasso of truth, I think, amongst other things. Um, 
but once you got the lasso of truth or once you were, I guess, um, lassoed <laughs> by the lasso of truth, you had no choice, but to be honest, I mean, you just had no, yeah, the, the, the ability to tell the truth was just, I mean, the, the ability not to tell the truth was not within your, within your realm of possibility. So, so Jefferson always felt, now I'm paraphrasing here. Jefferson was enlightened and aristocratic and unbelievably smart and, and very uh, theorizing. But Jefferson said, in, in essence, having a beer or a glass of wine to some of his buddies, um, hey, man, y'all not concerned that these judges could be swayed by some of the same passions and, and political opinions that we are? I mean, do you think when they put that robe on, they become superhuman? And, and, and the ability to, you know, to be an arbiter of truth is just with, 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 without any involvement of other and, and different emotions. I mean, if you really, uh, are you buying that? Do you believe that? And, and I went back and read some of what Jefferson wrote. And I mean, Jefferson didn't talk a lot. Remember? I mean, Bolt talks about this. Jefferson, I mean, Adams argued with a lamppost. Jefferson wrote. Adams was a orator. Jefferson was a writer. Uh, but they were both political theorists, and I'm not saying Jefferson never spoke and Adams never write, uh, wrote. Obviously, it, it wasn't exclusive one or the other, but Jefferson just wrote about things. I don't know if he understood Rev. I mean, may, maybe we know he had a high enough opinion of himself to tear the Bible to shreds and say God got all these things wrong. Um, so that's pretty <laughs> arrogant. But, but I do wonder if Jefferson believed that at some point in time there will be generations interested and curious about the formation of our nation, they will realize that my fingerprints are all over the formation of this nation, and they may care about some of the some of the musings I had, some of the thinkings I did, some of the um uh, the, the 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 internal squabbles or disagreements I had with myself and how I rationalized and hashed out um, some reasonable conclusion. But he never ever was comfortable with judiciary being a co-equal branch of government. I mean, he just, he really felt because it was unelected bureaucrats uh, that they were motivated by the same thing, power, influence, notoriety, fame, fortune, whatever uh, the influencers of that time were. And, and in his writings, he talked a lot. And I thought about that with the Colorado Supreme Court. You know, they are unelected. Seven unelected bureaucrats nominated by one party. Every member of the Colorado Supreme Court was nominated by a Democrat governor. And they interpreted um, Article or Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in, in a way that nobody else ever has. I mean, nobody in human history. we got a, what, 240-some-odd-year history. Well, I mean, the 14th Amendment came along post-Civil War, and it was to stop the Confederates. I mean, the Confederates had declared war against the United States. I mean, there's no doubt they led an insurrection. I mean, they shot guns, killed people, were killed on behalf of seceding from the United States of America. So we know that they declared insurrection. They loudly and proudly said, hell yeah, we're insurrectionists. I mean, we're going to kill as many of you as we can and expect you to kill as many of us as, as you can. And the last man standing will get, you know, that'll be the person who gets to ride. There would not be a 14th Amendment if the Confederacy had won the Civil War. would be a very different nation if that were um, the case. But, but seven liberal judiciary activists interpreted uh, the 14th Amendment, in, in the weirdest way imaginable. I mean, Dershowitz says none of it applies to the president anyway. I mean, the president is excluded from any of what the 14th Amendment speaks to. Um, but but anyway, here we are. And, and I go back to my comments yesterday. 
and and I believe this. I'll add another caveat. The Democrat Party has gotten so radically liberal, it can't convince the American people, despite having the media on its side, academia on its side, um, by and large, digital tech media, big tech, big business, it can't convince the average American that these things make any sense. So, so instead of trying to win elections, you, you, once again, you change the electorate, which is what they're trying to do now. With uh, I think yesterday may have been, uh, I think November, if I read this correctly, we had more illegals in America than in any month in our history. The month of November, I don't know what the number is, but it was it exceeded our all-time high of the number of illegal immigrants that entered uh, into the country. Is that, I mean, is that rebelling against the country's best interest? I mean, to me, that's, that's as much an insurrectionist as what Trump did. I mean, Biden is the chief executive officer. He enforces immigration policy or not, and he's turning a blind eye to nearly, what, half a million a year illegals coming into the country. I mean, isn't that a rebellion against the federal government? I mean, the federal government has laws on the books. When you choose to not enforce the laws on the book, aren't you rebelling? I mean, isn't that in the weirdest way imaginable, some form of insurrection? Mm -hmm. I can see it that way. Yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. So let's get Biden off the ballot in some of these yeah. in some of these swing states if Republicans control the courts. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning. I tell you, if Linda Carter tied me up in a rope, I confess to smoking on the Hindenburg. <laughs> that was that was the, the the Wonder Woman of my my youth as well. You know, I think about you were talking about college football when I when I was calling in, and it's not the same animal. And uh, but you know, a similar thing happened in the NFL years and years ago when they instituted uh, the free agency. It used to be your pro team had a quarterback, and that was your quarterback till he wasn't your till he was gone. I mean, that was it. You had franchise players, and now, you, you, I don't know if it's an up, uptick on uh, jersey sales or, you know, uh, or what it is, but I I remember when free agency started in the NFL, and I thought it's, it's, it's not going it, it, to be good for, for the, the loyalty of fans. This is not going to be a great thing, and and, and But to a greater degree, what the NCAA has done to college football, you're absolutely right. It, I still like to watch the action on the field. I'll, stay, I'll, I'll watch some of the bowl games this year. I will. But who wins and who loses, it, it's hard to care anymore. It really is. And so it's, just, it's, it's sad. And uh, somebody told me about the only true college football game you can watch every year is the Army-Navy game. And that's about a fact. I may have heard you say that, Ken. Yeah, I, I felt that. Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate it. I felt that way. I mean, what, when I watched the Army-Navy game, I felt as if I was watching the game of my childhood. And I understand. I mean, guys, the, the last thing that I am, I mean, I'm very set in my ways, but I accept that the world's fundamentally different. It changes every day. I've never, I've never tried to escape the change. I mean, I, some of the change I embrace, some of the change I don't much care for, but I've never felt it was my right to make things as I want them to be. I mean, things were a certain way in my youth, and I really enjoyed the way they were. I was young. I was impressionable. I didn't know what I believed or stood for. And college, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson. I mean, th th those were elemental in my young years. I mean, it, it was – I can't express to you how excited I was 
this time of the year to know that Nebraska was about to play, you know, Florida State in a bowl game or or Notre Dame was about to play Southern California in a bowl game or, or end of regular season. The Gamecocks and Tigers were always, I mean, right there. That They were a big part of my life. And But but I know things change. I accept conference realignment. I accept NIL. My, my frustration is the people paid a lot of money to be the safekeepers and guardians of a great, great game just absolutely screwed it up. Absolutely screwed it up. And they're trying to get the fan to further clean up the big mistakes they made by starting collectives and asking fans to give more millions of dollars Nah, I mean, the NCAA and universities should figure that out on their own volition. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, the interesting to come out of all of this is what happens to the polling. I mean, we're looking now. I mean, but, but the majority of this polling does not include, some may, but the majority does not include the reaction the voters have for the um, the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. I mean, it, some of that will probably, I don't know, Rev, by tomorrow. I mean, it will have some samples in some of the um, early states, I would imagine. I mean, I know there's a poll out yesterday from New Hampshire that shows a big move by Nikki Haley, a big drop by Ron DeSantis. Um, I mean, I believe some of that. I don't know that I believe all of of that. You always got to wonder if it's an internal, external. Um, some of these internals are, are, are intentionally misleading to create uh, or the perception of forward momentum and gaining some traction in certain um, states, I don't know how Nikki does this. I think it's the only hand she can play. But I don't know how you lose in Iowa, win New Hampshire. I mean, let's give her, let's give her New Hampshire. I mean, let's say that um, you know, a frat boy meeting girl, girl, go works. I mean, and, and New Hampshire gives her the um, you know, the stamp of approval. She finishes second in Iowa. She wins New Hampshire. There's no way she wins South Carolina. I mean, there's just no way she wins South Carolina. Now, if Nikki were to lose an Iowa, come in second, win New Hampshire, and win South Carolina, it's game on. I mean, there is some momentum there. But I've not seen a poll in Iowa that shows her going up. I've not seen a poll in South Carolina that shows her significantly improving her position. So it's almost like, well, I mean, at least let's win New Hampshire. I mean, let's do everything we can to win New Hampshire. New Hampshire's got a weirdness about it. If I'm not mistaken, Buchanan beat Bush in New Hampshire. I mean, the live, free, or die state. But, I mean, nobody ran. Well, I guess Buchanan did. I mean, he would have been a quasi-America uh, firster. I mean, he didn't coin the phrase America first, but he ran as somewhat of a populist and a non-interventionist. I mean, he ran against some of the hawks, some of the uh, military-industrial complex, um, and I think in the, in, on the Democrat side, I think Joe Biden came in fifth in New Hampshire yeah. last time. But but the, the point I'm trying to make is there is a scenario. It's highly unlikely, but it's not statistically impossible. And this is where Robert just does not go down the road of inevitable. I mean, crazy things happen in some of these places. Trump, I think, lost Iowa when he won the nomination in 16. Ted Cruz won in, uh, in Iowa in 16. But I, I just it doesn't seem to me that anybody has a national brand. Nikki's got a brand in New Hampshire. DeSantis, to some degree, has built a brand in Iowa. I mean, he's kind of lived in Iowa, to be honest with you. He's invested enormous political fortune in Iowa. And then you get to New Hampshire, 
And it's almost like Trump's running this 50-state campaign and the other two challengers are trying to hang on for dear life in Iowa and New Hampshire, hoping and praying and crossing their fingers that it creates some forward momentum. Nikki does have the advantage of the third state or the fourth state, forget Nevada for a second, but that state being her home state. But I've seen polling there. And, I mean, it looks to me like Trump would beat her by 25 points in her home state. So where do you go from there? I just don't see any scenario. And I understand they're talking about, you know, um, the uncertainty of the trials, the uncertainty of the convictions. I mean, I think now we're beginning to hear the media kind of jump on board, and it's almost like they all start talking about it at the same time. Um, yesterday, I kind of uh, I consumed a lot of political media yesterday because of um, of what happened in Colorado. And the narrative is, I mean, um, I'm thinking of Luntz, uh, Fred, uh, Frank, Frank Luntz. Frank Luntz uh, does a lot of polling for CNN. He's on with one of their daytime babes. And um, he's talking about, you know, I'm telling you. And she was like, I refuse to believe that. I mean, I refuse to believe that if Trump's found to be an insurrectionist, as Colorado was found to be, that his poll numbers won't suffer. And Luntz said, all I can tell you is what's happened every other time. I mean, he had a graph and a chart and, the first indictment, it goes up. The second indictment, it goes up. The first impeachment, it goes up. The second impeachment, it goes up. What does that say about America? I mean, when every time you impeach a guy who was president and running for president again, it goes up. Every time he gets indicted, his numbers go up. Uh, they kick him off the ballot in Colorado. We don't know yet, but I suspect it's bad news for Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. I mean, the, the oddity of that. I mean, wh- what does that say about American politics when we've when we've gotten ourselves in a place and position where you don't want the guy you're running against to ever get indicted again. You don't want him to get taken off the ballot again. You Strange don't days Donald indeed. Trump. Yeah. Hey, um, can I can I talk to Nikki? Yeah, hold on a second. Nikki, here's your campaign guy. Hey, they're getting ready to indict Trump. God, no. Don't do that. No. Hey, <laughs> Nikki, they're getting ready to take Trump off the Colorado ballot. Crap. I mean, that makes our job. I mean, what does that say about where we are as a nation? I mean, are, are we that crazy and out of control? I don't think so. I mean, I know we're that distrusting of, of the power structure and the, the, I guess, the Davos men and women, the ruling class, the cathedral. We talked a lot about that earlier um, this week. But I think one of the most interesting data points to come, and we'll get this real soon, what does the Colorado, um, you know, insurrectionist story due to Trump's polling numbers, do they, can they go up anymore? I mean, is there anything out there that turns a, a never Trumper into a Trumper? Cause that's about where we are now. I mean, it's about 60 some odd percent Trumpers, Trumpsters and, and about, you know, 40% that are not, I would argue there's still another six or 7% out there in the DeSantis camp that are America firsters, this is not Trump voters. I, I stick to my guns. I mean, I, I've tried to, to validate that opinion I have, and Drew will be with us, we think, in the next hour or in the 8 o'clock hour. But but I, I still believe that America first is two-thirds of the GOP primary voter, the establishment, what, what have you, the, the non-America firster. I mean, there's probably different threads in that one-third, but it's still two-third loud and proud supportive of America first. Let's go to the phone. Jacob in Florence. Good morning, Jacob. You're on. Yes, good morning. Um, listening to this conversation. Um, Ken, I don't want to put you on the spot. I know I know you were a lieutenant governor of this great state. 
So you knew, or or better yet, you know Nikki Haley pretty well, wouldn't you say? You know her pretty well. I know her pretty well. I've not talked to Nikki in a long time, but back in the day, yeah, we we talked a lot. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And uh, the the reason why I mentioned that is because um, I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, I would say that Nikki Haley is, you know, you're, she's a, I think she's a good candidate. I think she's a typical Republican candidate. I would equate her to like a George W. Bush type candidate. Would, would you agree or disagree with that? I would agree to that. She is a, um, okay. she is yeah. an establishment country club Republican. Correct. Correct. All right. The reason why people are turned off by that, by, by that type of candidate is because it's not working for this country anymore. You know, everyone's seen through through all of this uh, nonsense. It's, you know, if 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 we were to uh, select a, a, a typical establishment candidate, then it's politics as usual, and that's great for Washington politics, right? So why is Trump? Why is Trump getting a bump every time he's being uh, attacked the way he is? It's because he really is an independent candidate, right? Now, he has to run as a Republican, either a Republican or a Democrat. Well, he chose to to uh, to align with the Republican Party, but he really is an independent candidate. And a lot of Americans view themselves as independents, and they see him as a better choice than, than all this uh, nonsense that we're seeing. What, what, do you, what do you say to that, Kevin? I think you, you nailed you, it. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I think you nailed it. I mean, I think people per- perceive him to be not as influenced by the traditional forces that have historically influenced both political parties. He is an independent running as a Republican. I'll say this, and I'll leave it there. Um, Someone asked me a month ago, you not supporting Nikki tells me more than you're telling me. And I just left it there. I mean, I served with Nikki, got elected with Nikki in 2010. I'm a Trump supporter, unapologetic. I am team America first. And he said that, that tell, I mean, you won't tell me, but that tells me about all I need to know. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim in Mullins. Good morning. You're on. Hey, uh, good morning, Ken. Long time listener. First time caller. Want to respond to Williams. He's just absolutely comparing apples to oranges. Hitler exterminated Jews who were citizens of his country. Uh, And uh, Trump is not calling for anybody to be killed. He's just saying these half a million in this last year, illegal aliens, people who have no right to be in our country, are going to fundamentally change our country. If they had bombs, if they had grenades, if they had rocket launchers and, and guns, uh, our military would have to oppose them. It would be a military invasion. These people coming across our border illegally, uh, they don't have all that, so they're not military, but it is an invasion of our country all the same. And what Trump has said, uh, he has the right to say, and he hasn't called for anybody to die because of who they are. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Oh, second. Right, thank no, you. no, continue. I'm sorry. Do you have another well, point? No, the, the second, the, the, the Colorado Supreme Court, they don't have jurisdiction, do they, over the 14th Amendment? They're not a federal court. 
How can they make a federal court-type decision about Trump when nobody has even charged him with being an insurrection? Nobody's indicted him. There's been no trial. There's been no conviction. But yet they have decided he is that. He is. He has committed an illegal act against the United States of America and have acted like a federal court in making the decision that they made the other day. Um, we, we think we would think, how could that have ever happened? Let me pose you a question. How unthinkable it might be, but what if the Supreme Court upholds their decision? What do you think happens then? Thank you. I Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I've tried to play that out in my head. What if the court upholds the Colorado decision? What happens then? I mean, what do the Trump voters, half of America, what do they do if that is indeed um, the case. Now, we can argue whether the Colorado Supreme Court is within its jurisdiction. I think they are. I mean, I think Colorado Supreme Court, I mean, I think it's an assault on the Constitution. I think it's unfounded in the rule of law. Um, I mean, they basically, and I said it yesterday, they convicted Donald Trump of a crime that he's never been charged with. Now, they'll argue that the uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that engaging in an insurrection. It's not convicting of a crime, but rather did he engage in their interpretation of some of the comments he made well, gave them enough runway to to say he engaged in, in an insurrection. Um, I mean, I said it yesterday, and I just pulled my notes again. I mean, I, I stand, I don't know if I can approve on this. The Democrat Party, the day before yesterday, staked the claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of the people. They can't execute their plans and proposals and, and, and you know, policies honestly to the American people because people will say, you can't do that. I mean, we can't let people enter the country. I mean, they've got the, the media in their pocket, academia in their pocket, big tech in their pocket. To some degree, big business is very complicit in this unholy alliance they've created. But... Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is a federal question. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I had a debate, or I read a debate yesterday. might have been the day before. That was the day before. About the, um, you know, the states' rights. Republicans always want the states to decide uh, the election integrity or the election procedures or how the elections are run. I mean, that, that authority has been delegated to the Constitution. But the 14th Amendment is not. I mean, the 14th Amendment is a constitutional question, and the U.S. Supreme Court has final say on matters relating to the United States Constitution. This is a, I mean, it, it, I'm not a lawyer, but but the, the case that I would probably argue to, if somebody were articulate in arguing that the, the election proceedings in a state are to be guided by the state legislature, the state attorney general, the state secretary of, of state, the state, Supreme Court, I could easily go to Reynolds versus Sims, and that's the Alabama case, and it really pertained to, to South Carolina as well. You had one county, one senator, and some of the counties grew at a much faster rate than some of the other counties, and the Reynolds-Sims case decided by the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the one county, one state. So don't don't try to argue that the, the state, excuse me, the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't meddle in the affairs of state elections. I mean, if Reynolds-Sims was not the case that changed the way 
Senate districts are drawn and House districts are drawn in South Carolina, we'd probably still have one senator, one state. But once the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, decided on Reynolds Sims, that they, they, they set a precedent for, yeah, we'll get involved in, um, in some of the state election matters when it's a constitutional issue. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, I mean, there's not a lawyer, there's not a legitimate lawyer in America that won't agree that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is a federal question and the U.S. Supreme Court has final say. Now, now to play out the scenario of what happens if the U.S. Supreme Court rules in favor of what Colorado, I have no idea what that looks like. I mean, I can't begin to fathom. Um, And I think the reason the Colorado Supreme Court said we're putting a stay on this until January 4, but they knew they were politicizing an issue. They knew they weren't making a decision based on law and order and legalities and the rule of law and equal protection clause. Yeah, but they they knew that. I mean, these are activist judges. It's what Jefferson warned us about. I mean, they're going to let their political proclivities make their way into the courtroom, and here we are. You've got very um, activist judicials, and and they made a determination. They don't like Trump. I mean, Trump's not good for the status quo orderly way of which we um, conduct ourselves politically, and they made a very politically biased decision. But they left themselves an out, which is kind of creative to me. I mean, they said the the you know we'll stay this ruling until January four. In other words, we know it's going to be appealed. We know it's going to be overturned, but we're going to do it anyway. Michigan and Minnesota didn't hate Trump as much as we do. I mean, we can always, I mean, when the, when the DNC has its lifetime achievement awards and the nominees are the Michigan Supreme Court, the Minnesota Supreme Court, and the Colorado Supreme Court, we win the Democrat National Committee's lifetime achievement award because we had the husba to basically say something that Minnesota and Michigan, I mean, you know what they wanted to do. I mean, there's no doubt the Michigan Supreme Court wanted Trump off the ballot. The Minnesota Supreme Court wanted Trump off the ballot, but there was some judicial prudence that prevailed and said, we can't do that. I mean, we can't, em- we can't embarrass ourselves to the point of being perceived as nothing more than political actors and pawns in a, in a shenanigan or game. The Colorado Supreme Court said, and maybe it's weed. I mean, isn't marijuana legal in, in Colorado? <laughs> That's it. I mean, maybe you smoke a bunch of weed and drum up the courage to do something that, that puts your judicial reputation at risk, um, but this is going to be overturned. The Colorado Supreme Court knows it's going to be overturned. That's why they put a stay on it until um, until January. Excuse me. Yeah, January 4 is when it takes effect. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. One of the interesting parts of this story is I've always felt that I had a pretty good understanding of what Trump's ceiling is. I mean, I, I really do. I feel like I understand the Republican base about as well as most. I don't understand it better than some, but I think I understand it about as well as most. And I've always felt that Trump had the highest floor and the lowest ceiling. But every time there's an indictment, the ceiling rises. Every time there was an impeachment, the ceiling rises. What happens now as a result of the Colorado Supreme Court ruling, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But in some of these national polls in the Republican primary, he's north of 60%. And I just never imagined Trump's ceiling would be um, that high. Great Television senior national editor, 
White House correspondent John Decker is with us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're doing well today. John, I have tried to interpret the Colorado decision as a non-lawyer. I've read a lot of lawyerly articles. I've listened to some of the legal experts. You're both a reporter slash journalist and, and an attorney. Give me your take on what Colorado did and will the Supreme Court eventually review? Well, what they did was they affirmed a lower court ruling, a trial court ruling that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, and they found that because of that, uh, he violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, uh, which stipulates that any person who uh, swears an oath to defend the Constitution and engages in insurrection uh, cannot hold public office. Uh, So that essentially boils down the 200-plus page opinion that was written by the majority in the uh, case in Colorado. But as we know, this will be appealed uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I would imagine, Ken, that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, will take up this case quickly and render a decision pretty quickly. Uh, And I think there's a need to do so because other states uh, are already following Colorado's lead, Maine, Michigan, Oregon, other states beyond that may launch similar efforts to what we saw happen in Colorado. And to me, you know, like him or dislike him, uh, Donald Trump has never been charged with insurrection. In fact, he's never been convicted of any crime. And here he is being removed from a ballot by uh, a group of uh, four Supreme Court justices in Colorado. That doesn't seem democratic to me. Well said and well explained. Let's shift gears and go to border security. There's a big debate in Washington about border security. There's a big debate in Washington about Ukrainian funding. Um, We on the outside looking in don't believe you can do one without the other. Is that the case? And where do we stand in Ukrainian funding and border security? Well, talks are progressing uh, in in a good way. Uh, If you want to see changes to U.S. immigration law, number one, and you also want to see uh, continued military funding for both Ukraine and Israel. Uh, We learned that those talks are progressing in that way from the leaders in the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer putting out a joint statement, which is not very common. It's very rare to see Schumer and McConnell put out a joint statement, but they indicate that enough progress has been made uh, and will, and the talks will continue, that they believe that they come back from the holidays, first week in January, they can hammer out a framework for an agreement and then translate that into legislative language, and you could then have a vote in the early part of 2024. That's in the Senate. Uh, and then that legislation would move over to the House of Representatives. We'll have to see what these changes in U.S. immigration uh, border policy are, whether they're palatable enough to the House Republican conference. Uh, But this is what has been happening over the course of the past few weeks, and we learned that those talks will continue at the staff level throughout the remainder of this year. And, John, that would be my follow-up question. As Schumer and McConnell hammer out a deal in the Senate, Are they speaking to House leadership about what they're willing or not to accept? They should be. I don't know the answer to that, but they should be talking to uh, the House Speaker, Mike Johnson, because Mike Johnson uh, is going to be the one that needs to shepherd that legislation uh, through his conference in the House of Representatives. I don't know the answer to that. I think you don't want to shove something down the throats of 
House Republicans. You want to include them in the process. And you also have to realize, you know what, this is your first stab at changing U.S. immigration policy literally in decades. Uh, So you're not going to get everything you want if you're a Republican. But this is the first stab. Uh, And, you know, I think, what is it, Ronald Reagan, Ken said, you know, I'll get one half now and and try to get the the other half down the road. That should be the attitude of of Republicans on the possibility of a secure, a border security deal. Yeah. If Reagan had to be in politics today, he'd probably go back making movies. He'd say, this is too, this (laughs) is right about this is too crazy (laughs) for me in today's world. John, thank you for your time. Merry, Merry Christmas. And, um, and and we won't be on the air next week, but we'll catch you again in 2024. You've been quite the asset and we really appreciate you joining us on, on Thursday mornings to give your very, um, informed take. Thank you very much. And Merry uh, Christmas. Thanks a lot, Ken. Really appreciate it. Have a great Christmas, uh, great New Year's, and we'll talk in 2024. I appreciate it. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Great television, senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker. I don't have any idea what the framework is uh, with the House, excuse me, with the Senate. Um, I'm concerned. I'll level with you. I mean, I don't want to put John on the spot, but if McConnell and Schumer have locked themselves in a room and they're hammering out the details of a deal, it's a, it's a non-start in the House. I can assure you with that. I mean, you know, I don't have any idea. They may be reaching out to the speaker periodically to kind of update him on where they are in immigration reform. The better question, and I guess as somebody who's been to the body policy, the better question is how many hard no's are in the House on Ukrainian funding? I mean, that, that would be the, I mean, to me, that's the most important question. You can complicate these things as much as you'd like. You can highfalutin and, and you know, and, and, and get to the, ab- I mean, you can make these things as, as complicated as you want. But, but the reality is there are some hard no's on Ukrainian funding in the House. Is there too many to make a deal work? I don't know. Johnson knows the answer to that. I'm not sure McConnell knows uh, the answer to that. But when he says McConnell and Schumer are, are meeting and making progress on a border security deal, a compromise is what he's saying, um, that might be DOA and the House if they've not engaged Speaker, uh, Speaker Johnson in the, in the process. And you know, the, the question, if I'm McConnell and I'm not, but if I were, I'd, I'd go to Johnson and I'd say, how many hard nose are on Ukrainian funding? I mean, I know you got some, how many are there? We don't have any in the in the Senate. I mean, there are no hard nose. Ah, JD Vance, JD Vance may be a hard no. Rand Paul is probably a hard no, but, um, the Democrats have the majority in the Senate and there's enough Republicans in the Romney, like, you know, that, that they can get a bill out of the house, excuse me, out of the Senate. That, that America firsters won't care much for. They won't get a bill out of the House unless it's blessed by, uh, I guess, the freedom slash America first wing uh, or caucus of the Republican Party. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry and Chirag, good morning. Hey, morning, guys. Hey, Ken, uh, uh, hard no. Absolutely no more money to Ukraine. Absolutely no. If, if, if Schumer and, and uh, McConnell's doing it, you know something's up. We're getting we're we're being invaded, thirteen to seventeen thousand illegals a day. Does anybody understand that? Thirteen to seventeen thousand a day. What's the population of Florence? Uh, it's about thirty five thousand, I think, maybe forty. But so in, in a week, in a week, we're putting a population of Florence inside the United States. You're right. With invaders, not not immigrants invaders if you see where these people are coming from if you watch it i watch it every day if you see where these people come from you're making sure you're going to the gun store for christmas 
Okay, people? These are invaders coming to change this country. Barack Obama was the worst thing that ever happened to this country. He said it out loud, and nobody believed him. But he changed this country for, for the worse. Um, race is at its worst. Everything's at its worst since Barack Obama. If, if we're not paying attention, we're going to change unreal in the next five years. I, I'm afraid it's going to be before that. But we need to hard no on Ukraine. No more money. We're out of money. You better buy silver. You better buy gold. And you better be ready. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate <laughs> it. You know, the, the point, and Barry, Barry kind of touched on something that I've tried to, to better understand and give some serious philosophical debate. Um, when someone asks me, and I get asked this a lot, why are they so opposed to Trump? I mean, obviously, a lot of it is they built this huge and gigantic and powerful machine, and they're not sure they can control Trump. I mean, that would be the, the line. 95% of the most powerful people in America oppose Donald Trump, Democrat and Republican, because they build a machine, and it's self-serving, and it's it's in their best interest, and, and Trump comes along, and they're not sure where he comes from or what he's about. They know he's not an ideological hardcore. I mean, they know that. They know Trump is malleable. He believes some things to the left of center, some things to the right of center. He's kind of an independent-minded business guy. I mean, I think his political theory, Reb, would be low taxes and deregulation. I mean, that's pro-business. I mean, most Republicans who are, you know, profess to be pro-business Republicans, they would land there. But I believe there's an ulterior motive. And I think the motive to stop Trump is Trump would be the end of the Obama doctrine. You can't, you can't in a single election stop the world from being post-Second World War. I mean, you can't. The, the Second World War was a monumental and global event. You knew that was going to shape decades of our lives after we signed treaties and implemented organizations and rebuilt nations. We were going to live in a post-Second World War world for an extended period of time. Post-Obama is not post-Second World War. But transforming America was something they were very serious about. And I underestimated how intensely committed and willing others were to play along. So Trump is a threat to the 95% most powerful people on the planet, but he also signifies an end to, to what I'd call the Obama era, the Obama doctrine, the Obama transformation of America from something into something else. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. This is our last Friday on Thursday hmm, for 2023. <laughs> well, I mean, Christmas is here. Uh, it, it's the celebratory time of year. People adjust their schedules. So instead of um, instead of this being FRY Day, this is Thursday, but we're calling it FRY Day. Congressman Russell Fry is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Ken. And yes, every day is, is Friday. If you pass the billboard for McDonald's and Aner, it says that it must be the truth. So we'll uh, we'll take that for today's wisdom. I, I'm with <laughs> you. I'm with you there, sir. Um, let, but before we go to an issue that I want to discuss with you uh, this morning, I want to go back the year of 2023. Walk us through some of the highlights, some of the things you really remember, some of the things you're excited and proud of, and some of the things you kind of wish you'd gotten done that we didn't as a member of, um, I guess, the Republican majority for the most part. 
Yeah, no, g- great question. I think I think the highlights certainly uh, within the oversight realm have been um, some of the things about you know the, the Biden transactions, if you will. Uh, never in my wildest dreams when we started this did we realize how big it was. At least certainly me. Uh, but it has just grown, and, and every week has gone by, it's gotten worse and worse. I think, you know, we can be proud of a very strong energy bill that we've sent to the Senate. I mean, it's a good blueprint. They're not going to do much with it, unfortunately. Uh, I think we can be proud of a very good immigration bill, H.R. 2, that we passed. Um, that is kind of the House's position. I was listening to your last segment, but that is the House's position when it comes to this is we want H.R. 2. That's what we passed. That's where we're starting from. Uh, we want HR2. And um, I think, you know, when you look at some of the border stuff, it, it's it's incredibly bad. But Republicans have been able to highlight it in such a way that have really lassoed this for the American people. I mean, uh, so Republicans, Democrats, independents all agree, except when you get into Washington, that we've got to fix this. Um, I think Republicans can be um, not maybe not so proud, if you will, of, of maybe some of the dysfunction. Uh, some of the spending bills that we've passed have kind of honored that commitment to cut uh, government spending, to slow the growth, to to curve the arc back toward fiscal sanity. Uh, but some of them have not. And uh, so I wish that we, uh, and I say that we as a collective, I wish that we would honor that commitment that we made to to stop that spending, to slow that spending, to turn the fiscal trajectory. Uh, I hope we do that in January. I hope that we do that when we come back, is that we get back to that basic. I think we can. Um, I, I think the speaker vote was a big disruption because it not only threw out a Republican speaker with all the Democrats and eight Republicans, uh, but it also slowed any work that we were doing on anything else. I think that disruption, um, you know, really slowed anything that we were doing for a long time. So, good, bad. We've got a lot to do. I think January and February are going to be incredibly busy. Uh, We've got these spending bills. We've got uh, whatever the Senate's working on with Ukraine slash border. We'll see what that looks like. Uh, We've got Israel uh, and we've got a a, an emerging uh, and very combative China uh, as it pertains to Taiwan. So we got our hands full um, coming into the new year. Russell, do you know or will you will you make public how much McConnell has let the House know in regards to the deal he's trying to make with Schumer in the Senate. Has there been no, ongoing conversations, or do you feel you guys have been left a little in the dark? I would say, I mean, look, I, I, you know, I don't talk to the Speaker about this every day, but based on what I'm seeing, my, my perception is that he's dealing with Schumer only right now, uh, or, or maybe, maybe Johnson just to give him a brief update, which I think is a strategic mistake. I mean, some of the biggest wins that we've had against this administration this year have been when House Republicans and House uh, or Senate Republicans have been kind of on the same page. Uh, And if we don't do that, um, Chuck Schumer, the administration, roll us uh, every time, and it's frustrating to see. So I hope that there's uh, some serious discussions that are going on, because I think the House's position is going to be certainly more conservative uh, than the Senate with McConnell. Um, but it would be a big a big mistake to come in in the 11th hour and say, here's the deal, take it or leave it, when Republicans have never had that seat at the table. Let's go to the issue at hand. The most recent episode in the, in the Trump drama is the Colorado Supreme Court convicting Donald Trump of a crime he's never been charged with and removing him from the ballot, except for maybe, you know, a decision reversing that by the U.S. Supreme Court. 
What is Congressman Fry's take on all of that? Well, it's an abomination, but it's a continuation. Look, they started with the Steele dossier spying on a presidential campaign. We had the Mueller report, uh, which was you know a fiasco. We had impeachment hoax number one, which turned out to be kind of a joke in and of itself. We had impeachment hoax number two, um, you know, toward the end. I mean, in every which way, Ken, and you've seen this, and this is why I think his poll numbers keep going up. Uh, and, and then you have all the 90 indictments and all the things that they're doing. They are doing everything that they can and have been since 2016, doing everything that they can to slow his momentum and to stop him. Uh, and I think that's I, – I, I think, you know, it's, it's awful to see, and it's an abomination what's happening in our legal process. Uh, but this is a continuation of what we have seen for a very long time, that they will stop at nothing to stop him. And, you know, they say that it's protecting democracy – but they are destroying it in the pursuit of what they say is protecting democracy. Russell, are you of the opinion, you're a lawyer, when I read um, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, even if he has or is convicted, it's far from a, a settled legal question whether the President of the United States counts as an officer. Is that, is that something that we must consider? I think so. It's 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 what was the intent? Obviously, this the Fourteenth Amendment was created after the uh, Civil War and was to apply to Confederates. Uh, it doesn't officer include the president. Um, does the the, uh, the the pure language kind of dictate this? If you're an originalist, um, and if it's murky, what does that say about that? So I think that there's a Look, there's some incredibly shaky legal ground, and I think in a, in a Supreme Court with seven Democrats, three of them voted against this. Every other case up to this point has been voted down, including in kind of some Democrat areas. Um, I think that kind of shows, you know, he's never been charged with insurrection. Even Jack Smith has not done that. He's never been convicted by the United States Senate of insurrection. I don't know how you can make the legal claim uh, or the legal assumption. Uh, from a factual standpoint, that he has committed that when there's been no factual basis that has that has determined that in any jurisdiction. Very very well explained, Russell. I'll get out of the way, give you a minute or so to. Um, I, I know you want to and kind of engage our listeners and wish them a merry Christmas and tell them how much of an honor it is. I mean, I talked to you a lot off the air. You're, you're very honored and humbled to have this this opportunity. Um, but but the floor is yours. I guess what I'm 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 giving you a minute for a campaign speech here, Congressman Fry. <laughs> Thanks, Ken, and, and I love going on your shows. It's kind of like a de facto town hall, but, you know, wish you and, and your listeners a Merry Christmas. It, it is an honor, and I mean it sincerely. We work, you know, we don't always get it right. We're, we're human and fallible, um, which is why we're saved by Jesus Christ, but um, we work every day to push uh, for, our, for our area. We've returned this year r- roughly $3.5 million back to the constituents. Um, we have helped 1,100 people. We've answered 41,000 constituent inquiries into any number of issues. Uh, we have been in your neighborhoods. We have been in your cities and your counties uh, and, and really appreciate that service. And, and again, if we can ever be of help, whatever it may be, um, uh, please call us. Let us know. We, we can't help if we don't know, but we're happy to try. And uh, I wish everybody a very safe and, and happy uh, Christmas and New Year. Same to you, sir. Merry Christmas, Russell. We'll talk later. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Couple of callers held on. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Uh, good morning. It's a great broadcast as always. 
But um, I, I had a couple of comments uh, before I went through this long thing with uh, Russell Fry and uh, your uh, journalist from up north. But uh, the uh, the thing about this uh, thing, it's like these justices have left kind of a uh, poison IED or a poison pill on for our, in our Christmas stocking with this ruling. That it's just a horrible thing, and this is this is. This is right in line with the Democrat playbook and disenfranchising voters. They say they're for the little guy and they want to help everybody, but they only for the little guy if the little guy stays in line. And those those justices over there in uh, Colorado, they've deprived people. They can't even write in Trump's name. I, I, I thought that was just uh, beyond the pale. that wouldn't even allow a, a write-in. For uh, someone that certainly has not led a regiment or army again uh, to uh, invade uh, Washington, and with artillery and cavalry and uh, infantry, this is just wildness beyond anything I thought could happen or would happen. And at the same time, they have this coordinated thing: the cathedrals working. They're um, in, engaging and trying to get Trump off the ballot everywhere. What is it that they're trying to hide that they're so desperate to get Trump off the ballot? They're absolutely desperate. And in my view of things, this is another facet of Jim Crow. They're always wanting to talk about Jim Crow and voters' rights and everything. Well, if you deny someone from even writing in someone's name, I think you took my vote away, and that's that. That's uh, just a that's a big part of it, a sad part of it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate yeah. it. I just think we underestimate, and I, and I understand it. I mean, if you're not aware, you're not aware. If you're not knowledgeable, you're not knowledgeable. I just think we fail to properly understand how much influence and power reside in being in control of government. I listened to an interview yesterday with uh, Becky Quick, Joe Kernan, and Andrew Ross Sorkin and the CEO of Ford. And without saying it, he said that the government's running my company. I mean, he's talking about charging stations, talking about investments, talking about EVs, talking about internal combustion engines. But, but the guy that runs one of the most iconic companies in American history is basically deferring to the government. And he's concerned about the investments they've been asked to make. He's concerned about the incentives they've been given to make those investments. And he goes through the charging station reality. And it's almost like you're going to get what you deserve. I mean, if you if you run Ford Motor Company and you trust the government to give you accurate data and to be right about the long-term sustainability or not of fossil, and Curtin kind of gets him to say, here's where he ended up. You know, for Ford to make these investments, the federal government agreed to subsidize the building of X number of charging stations. And guess what? The government's red tapes got in the way of building the charging stations, and they're going to have to build about 500 per day between now and the end of 2029. I think it's about five, six years down the road. It's inconceivable. But he's basically saying, I don't run Ford. The government does. And it's probably in our best interest to let them do that. Back at 843-661-0937 is our number Thursday morning edition of Wake Up Carolina. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Breeze, good morning. 
Hey, guys. You know, I really wish, kid, that I could trust the Republicans to be the good guys. But it doesn't even sound like I trust McConnell. You know, another caller was right. I haven't seen, didn't see anything January 6th that resembled Gettysburg to me. But another thing, when you were talking about the invasion, as a couple of clients called it just that. If you and I, let's say I was a Democrat and you were a Republican, and we were talking over a beer, and said, man, Breeze, there's sure a lot of people come across that border. And I said, well, yeah, there are. He goes, hey, did you ever think of a better way to invade a country? What do you mean, kid? Well, you you don't have to um, bring in guns. We would stop them if they had guns. You know, that was one of the things people said. They aren't coming across with guns. They're coming across unarmed. But once they get over here, then they get armed. And we talked about this months ago. We could, it, there could easily be an army of 100,000 or more terrorists, and all they need to do is get a shotgun. I mean, you, they've basically landed an invasionary force here in our country that all you have to do now is arm them and let them go. Think about it, brother. I mean, don't you know that they thought of that? If Ken and Breeze over a beer can think about it with our great intellect and the people that have even greater intellect than you and I, you'd like to think they've figured that out. So why are they allowing it to happen? Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. I go back to the theories I have. And, and, and Breeze does a lot of this, and I do a lot of this, and a lot of you buy into this. They, you know, who is they? I mean, I, I always, I remember as a kid, they didn't do this. And then my mom would say, who is they? I mean, you know, would they explain that to me? And who is they? Um, but that there's some innocence in that. There's some naivete in that. There's some, uh, just some ignorance in that, to be honest with you. Um, and then you get a little older and you get a little wiser and you get a little more worldly and you start looking around and you realize, okay, there's a lot at stake. And I've got these, this, this, I mean, it's not competing theories. I believe that the majority of resistance to Trump are the people that built the machine. That shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, I think, I think most of us who dabble in on the periphery of politics believe, okay, they built this enormous machine. It's unbelievably lucrative. The formation of a cathedral came as kind of the guardians or safekeepers of this enormous and very lucrative machine. And there along comes a guy that we're not sure we can tell him where to stand and what to do. I mean, this guy could be dangerous. I mean, he, he could walk to the beat of his own drum, and we don't allow um, that. I mean, this machine is too powerful. It's too lucrative. It's too advantageous. There's too much self-dealing. Rev's not going to say anything because Ken's getting fed. Ken's not going to say anything because Rev's getting fed. But I mean, there's these unspoken deals, unholy alliances that lie within. And I mean, that's why the majority of these people aren't concerned about the debt. Because if we start balancing a budget, that's some trillion dollars a year that they don't get the divvy up and, and kind of divide amongst themselves of being insiders. And I, and I just believe that the majority of us, I'm going to be arrogant for a second. I think I know more about that than you do. I mean, I think I kind of understand how that machine operates. What's at stake? Who gets well-fed? Who gets fat and happy? And who gets slaughtered? I do believe that I have a pretty good understanding of that. I've never been to Washington and worked, but, but I, but I've read enough and I've served enough and I've been close enough and I've been in the middle of enough of it to kind of see how that works. I remember uh, as I shared this story, when I got elected, uh, I mean, I didn't register to vote last 40. You guys have heard that uh, I get elected and, and I go to uh, several of these retreats and this is the county level, state level. I can't imagine 
what it's like at the federal level. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm playing on a golf course I never imagined I'd play. I'm eating at a restaurant I never imagined I'd eat. Everybody, I'm the only person not wearing a Rolex driving a Mercedes or, or BMW. And I just took my steel-toed boots off. I mean, how does that work? And, and I began paying attention. And I began kind of fumbling. Oh, really? Chucks. That gummit? I mean, I didn't know that. You hear a lot. You learn a lot. Um, now, I don't have to play dumb. I am dumb. But but you can get somewhere if you are dumb and you somehow, some way end up in the middle of some of these power centers. And it, and it dawned on me. Okay, I see now why everybody wants to be in the middle of it. I understand now why why someone would raise $5 million for a job that pays whatever. You know, I get it now. I understand that now. It's it's um it's unbelievably lucrative in ancillary and alternative ways. So so I believe that that is the central reason that Republicans and Democrats, the majority of Democrats and and some Republicans, maybe 20% of Republicans under no circumstance won't Trump in power. They built this machine. It's unbelievably lucrative. They self-advantage themselves. It's their vending machine. They get to punch A1 or, or B5, and the money comes out, and the power and influence and prosperity comes out, and they commandeer. They control. They, they, they monopolize that system. And all of a sudden, the hillbillies and hayseeds and NASCAR fans said, we don't like that system. We, we're kind of on to you. Um, you know, m- maybe it's the debt. Maybe it's um, Afghanistan and Iraq. Maybe it's, I don't know. I mean, the, a multitude of reasons led the average American to become suspicious about what's going on over there. I, I believe this, and I've said it before. I believe the day we bailed the big banks out was the day somebody like Donald Trump became inevitable. I mean, I always suspected it would be a J.D. Vance, somebody who grew up in Appalachia, kind of um, got educated, highly educated, one of the prestigious universities, but did not convert. You know what I mean? Kept true to his roots. Now, some will say, yeah, but he beat up on Trump, and then he didn't, and then he did. And then, I mean, welcome to politics. I mean, there's going to be a lot of inconsistencies in your political life if you stay in it long enough. But I believe the day that the federal government and the American taxpayer made some of the wealthiest corporations in the world who had made very reckless and careless decisions. We can argue the, the government made them do that, but they'd already made a deal with the devil. But I mean, they'd already become complicit with, with the government. I think it was the day it was inevitable. Somebody like Trump was going to fly a populist flag and cause chaos and controversy and confusion of the insiders. So I think that is the primary generating force of, of a, a make America great again, America first, Trumpism, whatever you want to call it. The other is the, 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 the philosophical and ideological true believers that Obama transforming America was going to eventually make it a better place. Reparations, race relations, income, income inequality. I mean, he was going to socialize the economy. So, so you got those double whammy forces kind of working against Trump. Now, now I'll say this. In the course of events, there, there are a couple of things that have happened I never imagined would happen. When the Michigan and Minnesota Supreme Courts, who you know wanted to take Trump off the ballot, I mean, that's how you get your DNC Lifetime Achievement Award. But they didn't. That's when I kind of said to myself, okay, he's probably okay on, on being on the ballot or not. And then the Colorado General Assembly, excuse me, the Colorado Supreme Court, makes one of the most... <laughs> 
I mean, just, I mean, I'm not an attorney, but I know you can't do that. I mean, you can't convict a man of a crime he's not even been charged with. Now, now they'll argue, yeah, but engaging in insurrection, I mean, due process, equal protection, and I mean, all that was thrown out of the window. And, and I've read some pretty scholarly opinions about what is and what's not, what could be, what could not be. This, the, the Colorado Supreme Court, in the process of making this legal ruling, actually admitted we're doing this politically. In fact, we're going to put a stay on it until January 4th. That way, whomever decides to carry it to the Supreme Court will have ample time. We've made our case. I mean, we showed Michigan and Minnesota that they're going to be runner-ups, first and second runner-ups, in the DNC's Lifetime Achievement Awards, and, and Barack Obama may give us that award. <laughs> I mean, the seven of us may be allowed on the stage with His Highness, His Holiness, uh, the, the Messianic Barack Obama. I think that's what's in play here. And I think more Americans are on to this. I think more Americans are suspicious of this. And here's the here's what makes me encouraged, Josh. And here's why I got a little confidence in, in the future and a little faith in, in humanity. Every indictment, what happens to Trump? His Good numbers enough. increase. Every impeachment, what happens to Trump? His numbers go up. I've not seen a poll yet on what happened to Trump's candidacy and campaign after he gets kicked off a ballot. I mean, imagine a presidential campaign's name being kicked off a ballot and his approval ratings go up. See, I think Trump had a ceiling. I mean, I've said it and I'll say it again. I think Trump's floor is higher than anybody's ever run for president. He's got a loyal group. He's got an army unlike any candidate that I've ever seen in my life. I had a base. He has a following. I mean, it is loyal. It's somewhere around 35% of America, 32 maybe. 35 would be a little higher. Uh, it would be a little higher than that in the Republican primary, obviously. But I mean, he's got about 30% of America in his corner, come hell or high water. I thought his ceiling was lower than anybody else's except for the impeachments, except for the indictments, except for the now taking his name off the ballot in Colorado. And I think every time you do that, you make it more likely that Donald Trump gets elected president in November of 2024. Is that a good thing? For me, it is. For a lot of others, it's not. But but I've told you, it's not anecdotal. I mean, I, I, I refuse to believe that some of the data are outlined. This is... This is consistent data. This is consistent polling. It's not anecdotal. Every time the cathedral goes after Donald Trump, the suspicious American says he's more my guy today than he was um, the last day. And it even brought people that weren't really considering him this people time. People that want him to go away. Brought bringing him over. I know, I, and you know what I. You know that there are a lot of American Republican voters that say, "Look, he was the wrecking ball," but we're done with that. I mean, it's time to build something in the name of America first. Let's prioritize. That guy on the radio says the bumper sticker is "America first. What is it as a as a political philosophy? I want to do right. I, I want to pass policy that advantages the American worker, the American family, the American way of life. I'm not sure Trump does that. There's no doubt he's a wrecking ball. I mean, there's no doubt he's the, you know, he's the middle finger to the man. And I know people who say, I was for the middle finger to the man. I was for the wrecking ball. I just think it's time now to move on. 
and let's create and sustain a political movement. And I don't know that he's our guy, except when they indict or impeach or attack or have an investigation or have a, you know, uh, 20 states trying to take him off the ballot. The very people that are trying to destroy Donald Trump are the very people that keep him the most powerful political person in the universe today. Joe Biden's the president. Donald Trump is the most powerful political personality in America today. Barack Obama second. I mean, I don't deny that. Barack Obama is a very consequential political figure in America today. And if Obama doesn't want Biden to be the nominee, Biden won't be the nominee. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937. Stop the presses on politics for just a second. Uh, One of the things that we're proud of and we've been very consistent in is allowing law enforcement to engage the community where they are. Um, I don't like engaging law enforcement, except when we're on the radio. I don't want any (laughs) part of law enforcement unless we're on the uh, the radio. Mike Nunn, uh, Florence County Sheriff's Office, is with us as he is once a month on on Thursday mornings. Good morning, sir. How are good you? Good morning. Good morning. I am. Uh, I, I'm nervous anyway about a lot of things, but in particular, my wife. It, it it turned dark much earlier, and she wants to go out and run an errand, and go to Walmart or go to a a mall or go somewhere. She's my wife, therefore I'm nervous. But Mike, what sort of precautions do the general public need to make? And what sort of adjustments has law enforcement made when it does get darker earlier and there are far more people out during the Christmas season running around and shopping? Sure. And the holiday season brings folks out and uh, everybody's, uh, you know, uh, in anticipation of the holidays, they want to buy gifts for folks. And uh, especially as you get down to the last few days before Christmas, it's kind of crunch time for folks, you know, so uh, they're... Uh, they're, they're out trying to get this done. Uh, the key to this is always situational awareness, being aware of your circumstances. And uh, so, yeah, uh, parking lots are crowded, stores are crowded. Um, you know, most of the time we can get where we need to go and do what we need to do, and, and it's not a problem. But unfortunately, this this dynamic creates a, a an opportunity for uh folks to prey on others sometimes. So um, we just need to be uh, aware of our circumstances, aware of who's around us and what they're doing. Not saying to be paranoid about anything, but just a, a basic awareness of, of where you are and what you're doing and, and, and try not to do something or put yourself in a position where you uh, make yourself vulnerable. But is it fair to say, I mean, if, I, if I'm thinking about committing a crime, and I got a chance to commit a crime against a five foot three hundred and twenty pound female or a six foot two hundred and twenty pound male. My chances on the I'll take my chances with the female. I'm not trying to be sexist by any stretch of the imagination, but is that something everybody should consider? Certainly. And um, one of the things that you can do is um, uh, to minimize your likelihood of being a target for this is, uh, again, situational awareness, and um, that means uh, taking the earbuds out and uh, being aware of what's around you, not talking on the telephone, um, looking people in the eyes as you pass and walk by them, walking with a purpose, 
all of those things signal to the to the bad guy eh, that person's too aware. Uh, I better look for another target because <clears throat> at the end of the day, you can't be a victim unless someone gets into your personal space, right? So <clears throat> you just need to be aware and not allow anyone that you don't know in that personal space of yours. Um, so uh, you, you ask a crime victim, um, you know, in an interview, well, I, I, he came out of nowhere. Well, no, he didn't. He came out of somewhere. You just weren't looking there. Okay. And I'm not trying to bash the victim here, but um, the more you can be aware of your circumstances and see things coming from a distance, uh, the better you're going to be to to be able to avoid those types of things. Okay. We've turned shopping into an Olympic sport. I'm convinced of this. I bought a pole and I pole vault into my house now because the boxes are stacked up so high <laughs> in front of the front door. I mean, I literally can't get in the house. So I bought a, you know, I went out and bought a pole and a, and a pole vault now into my house. So shopping is now officially an <laughs> Olympic sport. Um, but boxes sitting on porches become targets. Is that fair? And if you guys made adjustments, the porch pirate is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have this issue because the delivery systems weren't, weren't there. I mean, you either went to the post office or, uh, you know, you had to go pick up a package somewhere, but now, I mean, you shop from the comfort of your own home uh, on your cell phone or tablet and people bring you stuff, you know, it just shows up on your door. And, uh, sometimes it shows up when you're there and sometimes it's not when you're not. So, um, that uh, too creates an opportunity for folks to look around and see what, uh, what you're buying, um, to take things before you even get them. And, um, you know, when you buy that big flat screen and take it out of the box and put the box in the front yard, waiting for the trash to come get it, guess what you just advertised? Hey, Mike's got a new flat screen. Um, and so that's, that's, that's all our stuff. And so that's probably something that you want to try to avoid during the holiday season is, uh, advertising the gifts you just got. Um, and, uh, Maybe uh, they'll go to someone else who's advertising it rather than you. Uh, but, you know, disposing of those boxes in a proper way, not in a public way, um, can help go to uh, mitigate some of that as well. You mentioned situational awareness, um, you know, not having earplugs in, paying attention, looking around you, uh, parking in a certain place and not in, a, in another place. How important is community watches? Uh, th th these organizations, these communities, these neighborhoods, that actually get together and organize. I am going to be somewhat of my brother's keeper. Does that help? Certainly it does. Crime Watch organizations are excellent uh, tools for uh, law enforcement. You're basically our eyes and ears. And, you know, when a citizen in a uh, Crime Watch group sees something that looks out of the ordinary, um, you know, they can, uh, they can take notice. They can notify law enforcement. They can notify their neighbors. And uh, that just makes people more aware and gives us the ability to uh, come and investigate and see, okay, well, that's really not a problem or, oh, that is a problem. Let's see what we can do. But Crime Watch organizations are excellent. And anyone who has any uh, desire uh, to have one created for their neighborhood, uh, we can help them. They can contact the sheriff's office and uh, we can help them get a Crime Watch organization started in their neighborhoods. How involved would the sheriff's office be? and making sure people aren't drinking and driving. 
Well, we certainly work with our other law enforcement partners, highway patrol, uh, municipal uh, police agencies. Uh, uh, during the holiday seasons, we're all part of that team. And, uh, you know, we, want, we don't want to deny anybody a good time, but we want everybody to enjoy a safe, happy, uh, uh, injury-free holiday season. So uh, to the extent that we can assist our uh, other partners in that effort, we're certainly glad to do so. Last question, and this is kind of an odd question, but I know I've got you you here, and you can give a, um, I, I don't want to say an official response, but an informed response. Rev and I know of a situation, you may know of the situation, it's in his neighborhood, it's a friend of mine, who believed their car was being broken into in the wee hours of the morning. Two o'clock in the mornings, they hear a noise, they actually look through the window, they see somebody trying to get into their car, the, the the husband, father did about what all of us would probably do, open the door, try to walk outside and shoo them away, expecting somebody trying to steal a wallet or a pair of sunglasses or whatever. The person opens fire on, on, on this individual. What are we to do? What, what, what does the sheriff's department wish we would do when something like that happens in our front yard? Well, obviously, uh, every situation turns on its own peculiar facts and merits. Under South Carolina law, this is not the sheriff's, you know, we, we didn't make this up. The, the legislature passed um, the uh, act which allows for uh, one to protect themselves. Um, but you, you are not allowed to use deadly force to protect property. And so, um, you know, we would certainly want someone in that situation to contact law enforcement um, and, uh, you know, get a good description, direction of travel. We're certainly on the way. Um, but that particular incident did appear to be a bit of an escalation over what we've seen in the past. Um, uh, that's the first instance of which we're aware where an individual has actually used some type of weapon against their victim. And so we just want people to be cautious and, you know, uh, you, you have the right to confront someone who's, um, you know, attempting to take your property. At that point, it's not a deadly force situation. But, um, you know, we just want everybody to be safe. And uh, uh, our, our recommendation would be contact law enforcement, call 911, and, and we're going to be on the way. The other thing is just to make sure that you lock your vehicles and please don't ever store a firearm in your vehicles overnight because that's exactly what some of these folks are looking for. So you can, you can prevent that <clears throat> by just exercising some you know, personal responsibility with your weapon. Please don't leave that gun in your vehicle overnight. And, Mike, that plays into the reason that Sheriff T.J. Joy believes the more manpower, the more boots we literally have on the ground – the faster we can get there and assist. Certainly, and you, you know, our you can look at our response times, and they're really good. We want to get that even better, and uh, so he's been a huge proponent of uh, more deputies per shift. County Council has been very cooperative with us in allowing us to do that, and uh, we just uh, we're we're hoping to take it to the next level. Okay, thank you, sir. And Mary one Christmas. last comment. Yes, sir. We want to thank uh, you and community broadcasters for allowing us to come on uh, month, <clears throat> excuse me, month after month to uh, talk to the public. Uh, it's a great 
uh, thing that you all do, and we appreciate it. We also want to wish you guys, as well as everyone in your listening uh, area, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year. We want you to be safe, and we're going to be out there doing the best we can. Remember, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day when you're there with your family, there's a patrol shift out there responding to calls and um, and trying to uh, keep our, our community safe, not just the sheriff's office, but city police, highway patrol, all of our law enforcement partners. And uh, we're good with that. We signed up for that. But we just want to let you know we're out there, and uh, we hope you'll call us if you need us. Well said. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Merry Christmas. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, we have these law enforcement. What are you smiling about? What, what are you Nothing. chuckling about? <clears throat> I think I just cleared my throat. We got a, a distinguished member of the Highway Patrol. You better behave here. Uh, we had the Sheriff's Department earlier. We got the South Carolina Highway Patrol. Now, Lena Butler comes in here once a month to kind of update us on things to Highway Patrol or sensitive to and paying attention. She was here last month talking about holiday travel, Thanksgiving, um, some of the initiatives they're introducing and focusing on. Uh, Ms. Butler, I got to believe. As 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 busy as Thanksgiving was, Christmas and the New Year is at least that busy. Definitely. It it definitely is. I think it's gonna be busier because you've got people traveling, you know, people rushing out shopping, getting last minute gifts. And you know, we've already got the, I've already seen signs out that, that stating that some areas are more congested than others based on the holiday traffic. So, you know, this year, the, the holidays, they're definitely upon us, you know, and, um, you know, you can't, the motor public can't expect to see our troopers um, along with state transport and other law enforcement officers, you know, conducting conduct special enforcement during the official holiday Christmas, Christmas travel period. And that begins uh, 6 p.m. Friday, December the 22nd and ends midnight on Monday, December the 25th. You know, this year our holiday campaign is um, highways or dieways. The choice is yours. And, and, that, and, and a special focus on people that are drinking and driving. I mean, I got to believe that you guys will be out in full force making sure for their safety that they're not behind the wheel while uh, drinking adult beverages. Definitely. We definitely will be out. You know, we're going to hold um, special checkpoints to make sure that the motor public is safe, making sure that people get to their destination safe. You know, um, the holiday campaign, like I said, is going to be it's highways or dieways. The choice is yours, you know, and this is an overall effort to reduce the number of traffic collisions as well as traffic fatalities. There have been a total of 936 highway highway deaths so far this year uh, compared to 1093 in 2022 and 1198 in 2021. So, you know, we're pleased to see that the fatality rate is, you know, is on the downward spiral. We are declining with our um, traffic fatalities. That's always been a number that you guys care a lot about. Uh, how many people die, actually yes. die on the roads uh, in South Carolina? Is there any reason to believe something's different? I mean, if we'd had a, I don't want to say we had a good year, because anytime the number's 900, that's not a good year, but it's a better year than the previous do, do you believe there are certain things you folks did that, that decreased the number? Well, I would say, you know, with our holiday campaigns and also with our troopers, you know, more troopers being out, 
along with other law enforcement agencies. That can definitely deter, you know, bad driving behaviors. Um, and anytime, you know, there's a traffic fatality, of course, that has a that is a negative that's negative for the family. That's negative for for us as well. And you know, our um, our goal is target zero zero fatalities within the state of South Carolina. And, you know, not only is it going to take you know highway patrol, local law enforcement, state transport, it's going to take the motor and public as well. So that's why you know our mission is the same to educate the motor and public on traffic safety. We urge and encourage people to practice safe driving behaviors. You know, always buckle up. If you're going to take a trip, plan ahead, have patience, and also obey the posted speed limit and limit distractions. You know, distractions can cause, well, distractions does cause a lot of, you know, traffic accidents. So we're asking the motor public to limit their distractions. And once again, alcohol, I'm not going to look at you this time, (laughs) alcohol, you know, we always ask people, to have a plan in place if alcohol is going to be part of your celebration, you know, because there are too many alternate routes, you know, ways of transportation now. You know, we have, there's the Uber, Rideshare, you know, um, make sure you have a plan in place if alcohol is going to be part of your celebration. Is it fair fair to say, I mean, when when I travel on some of the busier roads, I see some of the trees being cut back, interstates Mm -hmm. in particular. Um, I gotta believe that that initiative by DOT and whomever uh, does that, it's got to be supported by Highway Patrol and and eventually be a part of saving lives. Well, I think it's gonna be, in in my personal opinion, I think it's gonna be good because what it does, you know, um, that in my opinion, you know, it limits people from, you know, since the trees are being removed, you know, you have time to stop. You know, eventually, of course, you may bog down rather than hitting a tree. You know, that impact of hitting a tree is so great. That's going to cause um, serious injuries or even death. With the trees being gone, I see that as a plus. I think that's going to be beneficial to the motoring public as well. And they made quite the effort on some of the busier roads to get some of the trees far away from from the uh, from the motoring public. Mm-hmm. Thank you, ma'am, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and Merry Christmas and... It's kind of an inside when we talk about, I give Rev a hard time. Rev, the last thing I got to worry about is him coming to work, you know, having taken adult beverage, but I, I joked around with Yeah, the, last time Lena was here, Lena you said something about, about, why are you looking at him when you're talking about <laughs> drinking? Well, I thought she'd smelled you like I do about three days, three that's days right. a week. And of course, Christmas, none of that is true. Well, none of that's true. <laughs> yeah, but Ms. Butler, Merry Christmas. Yes. And we really appreciate all the work mm-hmm. you, you folks do. Merry Christmas to you guys as well. And also, I'd like to say thank you all for providing providing this platform so that we can talk to the listeners. We can talk to the modern public. And also, you guys have a Merry Christmas as well and a Happy New Year. And I look forward to working with you in the new year. Same to you. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. We'll Mm -hmm. take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. We have a caller on the phone. Let's go there. Robin in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning. How are you? Ken, I want to give a shout-out and a thank you to the Sheriff's Department, um, Sheriff Joy and Detective Sullivan and um, Mr. Worsley for arresting the person that used my debit card. I go to a local fast food restaurant, and they decided they were going to copy my debit card and use it, and uh, it didn't work out too good for them, and I want to give them a thank you. Good deal. You just did. Thank you very much, and good luck in getting all that squared away. Be careful with your information. 
I mean, I, look at me. I mean, I'm the biggest dummy there is in the world about be careful with your information because <laughs> I'm freaked out by all of that anyway. I mean, you know, Josh, we're talking about generational differences. You're a generational. I mean, you would be a digital native. I mean, I, I would be a migrant. I mean, I had to migrate from the old, you know, pen and paper, writing checks and sending letters. And all of a sudden, you know, some tech geek creates a better way and more computerized and digital way um, to do that. I still believe this. Uh, I still believe there's great personal intrigue in the written word. The one thing I like about doing this radio show is I write a lot. I make notes to myself. I mean, it's kind of, I don't write in cursive. You know, I write, I print. I mean, it's like this and that. But I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. If I don't do that, it just personalizes it with me. I mean, if I send myself a, a typed out email, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate as much as if I put my own personal, my handwriting's terrible, but it's still mine. You know what I mean? I wrote this down. I remember writing this down. I think the, the, the internet, the way we communicate has allowed us to become very impersonal with one another. Um, the written, the written note, the handwritten letter, I still believe is essential to human relationship. I mean, I do. I really believe that. Um, I got about three people in my life that I need to thank and they're late in life. Um, and I've not properly thanked them for the impact they've had on me and the mentorship they provided to me. And I thought one day about sending them an email. I mean, I got email addresses and I said, I should be ashamed that I even thought about, you know, writing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thanking them for being a mentor and a friend and an advisor and a confidant. And, you know, and, and I'm going to do that with an email. <laughs> you might as well just text them. Yeah. I mean, why don't hey, I thanks. just tell, Hey, thank you for all you mean to me. Um, have a great day. Right. No, I mean, I, I think the, the written letter. Oh, you're so right. Um, Josh, it's a lost I mean, art. Well, it, it is a lost art and it's an important art because it personalizes that, that relationship, that friendship, that, that, um, that bond that human beings need to have with other living, breathing human beings. Do you agree with that, Josh, or not? I mean, I, you see where I'm headed. I mean, I've done it both ways. I mean, I've written a lot of letters. I've written some letters, and I've sent a bunch of emails. You probably sent a bunch of emails, but not write, written a bunch of letters. Very true. And, uh -huh. and, and to me, it's impersonal. But see, Josh wouldn't know that. I mean, he, if he's never written many letters. Yeah, Josh like, mentioned that he he did learn cursive, and that's kind of where it stopped. Yeah, and, and I get it. I mean, that's the world we live in now. I just think that the, the world that, that we're creating for ourselves is going to allow you to be very impersonal if you choose to be. And I just think the human experience needs camaraderie and fellowship and, and friendship, and I think we're negating that. I think we're, we're putting that somewhere in, in a less influential place than it, than it should be. Um, I get it. I mean, I understand it's easy. It's easy to, you know, the reason I don't call is I, I want to control the conversation. The text gives me more power to control the conversation. You know, you, you end it when you want to end it. You answer exactly the way you, I, I just think that, um, but I think we're losing that, that personal relationship that all of us need to have with our, with people that matter to us. Take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Last hour of today. Tomorrow, full show. Next week, it'll be the best we could do of. It's not the best of because there's nothing there 
to brag about. It's the best we could do of mm-hmm. Wake Up Carolina while the Rev and I, um, he'll probably go to the south of France. I'll probably go to Myrtle Beach. That's just how we that's how we roll on our on our time off. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. He's with us this morning. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing good. Merry almost Christmas. Yeah, Merry almost Christmas. There's a weird phenomenon in American politics today. Every time Trump receives some sort of um indictment, impeachment, taking him off the ballot, he becomes a more formidable political candidate. What are we to make about all the things that have happened to Trump, the candidate, and how all those negative things really help him in some of the public polling, Ryan. Right. Yeah. I mean, like we've got the evidence right now that these uh, legal challenges have really helped him in the primary polling. You certainly are right about that. He's, he started to pull away in a number of states, including Iowa, though we do have seen some polling in New Hampshire recently that shows uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley and Governor Nikki Haley from South Carolina becoming more and more competitive with former President Trump, even polling in the 30 percent range while he's polling in the 40 percent range. Now, we don't know how this latest case in Colorado, where the Supreme Court has essentially taken him off of the Republican primary ballot, how that's going to impact his campaign just now. But it certainly has done what we expected it to do, which is put him back in the spotlight, especially with Congress out of session. And we're kind of in a downtime for media coverage. So Ryan, what does, I mean, you're you're inside the beltway. We aren't. What sort of reaction did this news have inside the beltway? I'm not asking what this Senator believed or what that Congress member, but in general, what sort of reaction has the Colorado Supreme court decision affected uh, some of the insider ism in our, in our nation's capital? Yeah, well, I I think everyone's kind of just waiting for this case to come here because it's just a matter of time until the Supreme Court hears this case. And I think that's kind of what everyone's hoping for, is that the Supreme Court just will once and for all decide this case. And, of course, I think in conservative circles, they expect this one to go a lot more their direction based off the makeup of the court. Now, I think that there is this big concern that's kind of going around in D.C. because this one is is much different than some of the other legal challenges Trump is facing. This is a flat out su- a Supreme Court in an individual state telling him he cannot be on the primary ballot. We have not seen that before that I'm, I'm aware of. So I think a lot of them are hoping that the Supreme Court rules on this eventually. But also, I think there is this concern, and even Democrats feel this way, that they're making this ruling when he has not been convicted of a crime or is not going to trial just yet in the case that involves his actions on January 6th. Uh, and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So I think there is a little bit of a consensus there from both Republicans and Democrats. Well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great Christmas, and we'll talk again in 2024. Hey, sounds good. Same to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ryan Schmelz. You know, I don't want to be insulting. I try to be respectful. I honestly do. I mean, I know sometimes it may not appear that way, but I do try my dead-level best to be respectful of those who have opinions all over the place but to have an opinion that justifies what the colorado supreme court did is moronic i mean it's there is no i mean there is no intellect required to get there i mean that's political partisanship i mean that's that's an obsession and it's probably a a, kind of a, a, a dual obsession one is being in control no matter what the will of the voter may or may not say the other is i hate this guy so much that we're going to bend the rules of judiciary to a point that nobody can make any sense. And we're going to force some of the never Trumpers to defend something that is indefensible. I mean, I, 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 
Reb, I think you'll agree with me. Josh, jump in. I mean, I think we understand those who don't want Trump to be president. Sure. I mean, I understand. We understand those who find him to be a menace to the country. I mean, I, I don't, but I understand how you could get yourself there. I think there's there's rationale. Hey, man, our government requires consistency. Our government requires a certain decorum and a certain reverence, and, and this guy has done. I understand that. I mean, once again, I fundamentally disagree with that, but I certainly understand how you can get there. I don't know how you defend what the Colorado Supreme Court did. I just don't. And, and I guess it goes back to keep it simple, stupid. The Colorado Supreme Court convicted Donald Trump, and I understand some of the some of the um ah, some of the interpretations of Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. You, you got to really get bendy, and 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 trying to interpret it that way. Um, I mean, the 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 fairest debate about the Fourteenth Amendment does it apply to the president or not? I mean, that that's the, the, the that's genuinely the legal debate. Is the president excluded from? the 14th Amendment or not. But I, there, there's some seriousness to that. But but I don't, and once again, I can, I mean, I can sympathize with those who don't want Trump to be president. I can even sympathize with those who believe he's a threat to the country. I get, I mean, I, I don't believe that, but I certainly understand how reasonable people can disagree about that. I don't know how you defend this. Unless you have Trump derangement syndrome or you're okay with, a party having such an obsession to be in charge of government that they'll do anything under the sun, including including not trusting the will of the voter, but rather have a, a politically activist judiciary scratch his name from the ballot. I mean, imagine if you're a Trump voter in Colorado, and there's one or two. I mean, if you're a Trump voter in Colorado, as of today, you can't vote for the guy you want to be president. I mean, just, I mean that, that, that's I the best way. To, if you are a Trump voter in Colorado, today, today you don't have the option of voting for Donald Trump as your president. You got a bumper sticker. You got a yard sign. You wear the baseball cap. You watch Fox. You want that guy to be president more than you've ever wanted anybody to be president in your life. And the Colorado Supreme Court said, maybe you do. But we've decided that you don't get that option. And he's the threat to democracy. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, David. Hey, good morning, sir. David Baker. Uh, can you, you and Dave I remember John Denver? Great song, Rocky Mountain High. And then that leads into Colorado. You brought up a good point, Ken. You call it generational change. And when generational change meets institutional change, that's the I look at the courts and the border as that. And I'll quiz you on this, Ken. Uh, who won 2004 election? Who won Colorado? That would have probably been George W. Bush. George W. Bush. Uh, Colorado was a red state back in the day. So it was Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. I, I'll leave one to the end, another state that was, but... If you go back, let's talk about Christmas past. Let's go to 2004, and I'll give Bush credit. He beat the Prince of Climate Change. That's John Kerry. In fact, in 2000, he beat the King of Climate Change. In 2000, uh, 
guess who the keynote speaker was at Democrat convention in 2004? Barack Obama. Um, and then this is what they really hate about Donald Trump is that he stopped the Bush and the Clinton dynasty. And we're kind of on the third leg of the Obama dynasty. But I go back to 2004. Ken, the Dow Jones was at 10,000. Uh, our deficit was $7 trillion. Ask yourself, where was Elon Musk, Amazon, and Facebook back in 2004? Uh, just ask yourself that. And the last state, there's a state that hasn't gone Republican since 2004 is Virginia. And that was a state that from 1968 to, to 2004, they voted Republican. They didn't buy into the Jimmy Carter charm. They didn't buy into the Bill Clinton Southern charm. They voted Republican all that time. And this is the saddest part of it all. These people call this thing an insurrection. We had what they call a civil war for five years. January 6th might have been, what, five hours? But the Army of the Potomac, that was the north. The Army of Northern Virginia, that was the south. They have come together, and I call it Fairfax County, those northern Virginia counties, and they they are just tearing this nation apart, how much money they've made. Think about what I said. $7 trillion in debt. What are we now? $33 trillion. Uh, Dow Jones, 10000 What are we? 37000 Folks, that's where your money's gone in the last 20 years. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843 843- Six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim in Florence. Hi, you're on. Hey, good morning, guys. So, if the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, doesn't overturn this thing or doesn't even take the case, and then we get states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, that then you the 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 liberal. Um, lawfare class of people that are in that because guys the people coming out of even usc law school are not conservative um they are the craziest left-wing people you've ever imagined and we've got to figure out a way in the long run to address that but what if these states then use their apparatus to take trump off the ballot um do people realize how quickly this could descend into utter chaos? So my question to you, Ken, would be when when you talk to your, your friends and authority, do you have these conversations like, hey, is there a contingency plan? Do you understand how quickly this can descend? Um, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be asking someone to publicize the plan, but are these part of the conversations and are there plans? Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. I'm going to let you behind the curtain for a bit. I said this morning, we talked about NIL and college football early this morning, waking up together, you know, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm prepped enough, you know, early in the morning, a little cobweb here, a cup of, sip of coffee there. Eventually I get inspired. I mean, you guys really kind of wake me up. We wake up together. I mean, I've read a lot about the body wakes up. The brain takes about an hour and a half after that. Um, Sometimes I wonder if mine wakes up at all. But but this morning I told Rev, I said, Rev, I'm not as welcomed at USC Athletics as I once was. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was a lieutenant governor. We worked on some bond bills together, some some financing of projects together. 
I mean, you know, I kind of, I don't want to say I shepherded. I mean, I'm not a senator, but anyway, I, I, you know, I, they knew I was a big Gamecock fan. I'll give an example. In a joint session, when we elected trustees at Clemson and Carolina, was the second year, I mean, the year that I hosted the, the, the second joint session of judgeships and trustee elections was the second year the Gamecocks had won baseball national championships. So when I walk over to the House chamber to do a joint session, I presided over the joint session, and I had a note written on my mark or on my um, calendar that said Clemson trustees and then South Carolina USC trustees, and I said, um, you know, I had scribbled two-time national champion USC Gamecocks. <laughs> Bobby Harrell was speaker, and I showed Bobby, and Bobby said, you won't do it. I said, I better will, and I did, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I now formally close the ele- or open the elections for you know um, two-time national champion USC Gamecock Board of Trustees. Now Harvey Peeler got pissed with me. I mean, he got <laughs> I irate with me, and uh, we got back to Senate Chamber, and he railed me, and he was Senate Majority Leader, and he whipped my butt verbally up one side down. And I didn't have to answer to Harvey. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. He knew I was a big Gamecock. I knew he was a was a huge tiger. That's some of the inside. But I'm not as well received at USC because I've been critical about the institutionalization of mediocrity. And I believe that about the Gamecock athletic pro. I think the Gamecock fan base has been conditioned to believe you can't win here, but let's just struggle. I mean, let's compete. I mean, you know, it's honorable. I mean, it's honorable to die on the battlefield. That's an honorable existence. Well, we should be ashamed of ourselves as a fan base that we've allowed the institutionalization of mediocrity that includes people skirting responsibility, avoiding accountability, the, the, the place that I have been more welcomed and more accepted is some of these political conversations. My opinions six or eight years ago were a bit radical. And, and they so some of the insiders have gathered, Jim, and, and have said to one another, hey, man, Art told us something like this may come about. Call him and find out what he's thinking. So, so once again, not as well received with some of the Gamecock friends I have, and I'm talking about authorities. Jim was talking about people in authoritative positions, USC trustees and some of the administrators and blah, 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 blah. Not not as popular in that circle as I once was because I've been very critical of our accepting mediocrity as the standard. But, but in some of the political conversations that I've been involved in, they are pretty radical. And they are pretty what, what formerly would have been considered extreme In other words, I I guess what Jim is asking is, okay, let's say the court, the Supreme Court of the United States, takes a pass. Or let's say worse than that, they validate the decision made by Colorado. Do the Republicans have the kahunas to take Biden off a ballot? I mean, that's what Jim's asking. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if we're going to spiral into chaos, I mean, do we take it on the chin or do we throw a counterpunch? Hell yes, we should. Better punch back. Absolutely, we or you'll should. You'll get beat up. Well, what do you what do you do with Biden? Is is it um is it uh peddling influence in exchange for foreign national funding? Uh, maybe. Is it um is he rebelling against the Constitution and the federal government by not enforcing immigration policy? Well, I mean that, that's no more extreme or ridiculous than convicting a guy of a crime he's never been charged with. I mean that may be the ultimate insult to judiciary in America today. Forget the fact that it may or may not apply to the president. The fact that we're charging a guy that we wonder whether the 14th Amendment really Dershowitz says it doesn't. And guess what? He's a, a constitutional scholar, not a big Trump fan. 
But he says none of this matters because the 14th Amendment, Section 3 of the 14th, doesn't even apply to the president. He's excluded from any of this. Um, but, but what Jim is asking is what I think we need to all ask ourselves. We, we try our best to adhere to the Constitution, interpret it, adhere to it, govern by it. But if the Colorado Supreme Court makes a decision and the U.S. Supreme Court, which ultimately has final say on constitutional matters, and the last time I checked, the 14th Amendment was an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, where do we go from here? If we're going to descend into chaos, is there going to be, in the name of equality, let's take Biden off the ballot in Texas. Let's take him off the ballot in South Carolina. Let's take him off the ballot in Georgia. I mean, let, let's end up, nobody gets the, the number of ballots to be the winner via the Electoral College. Where do we go from there? I mean, I, I think this opens Pandora's box. Now, now, I'll say 10 years ago, well, five years ago, there is no way the Republican Party had the, the kahunas to do what the Democrats deserve to have done to them. Today, I'm not sure. I mean, th- th- there's a movement within the party and, and once again, Drew and I debate this. Drew McKissick, he and I debate whether we are in an asymmetrical relationship, donors and and um, and voters. I think we are. He thinks we're in a reset. We're in a um, kind of a resituating of where the agenda and priorities and, and, you know, future of the party lie. I think we're at a completely, totally point of no return when it comes to donors. Um, but the donors are not politically motivated. The donors are about money. That's why they're donors. I mean, they're, 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 they're gatekeepers to this huge federal government that they fed at the trough of. And if the Supreme Court fails to overturn the Colorado decision, will there be a conservative state Supreme Court willing to take Joe Biden off the ballot? I hope there is. And I think there might be. Five years ago, no way. Under no circumstance would the Republicans go to that extreme. Today, I could be. And that's because of some of the conversations I've had with some of the um, the more activist political authorities in the Republican Party. Take a break. Back in a few. We disagree on a lot of things. I think one thing we can all agree is health insurance is complicated. It's too expensive. Everyone's situation is different but we're all treated kind of sort of the same in some of the exchange care markets and I don't know the new model post Obamacare of uh, of health insurance. I want to keep it simple. If you're under the age of 65, if you're reasonably healthy and you think you're paying too much for insurance, guess what? You are. There are alternatives and options. Christian Levis at Real Choice Healthcare has been helping people save money getting the right coverage at the best price for many, many years, call 839-888-3970. 839-888-3970. Or go to the website. You ready? Realchoicehealthcare.com. Realchoicehealthcare.com. Let's go to the phone. Rujan in Darlington. Good morning, Rujan. Good morning, guys. Hey, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna say something that's that's, that's probably gonna be controversial, but it's it's it's, a, it's in, in comparison, the, what 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 these what these Democrats are doing 
are the, it's the same thing that they did down down here in, in the south, you know, uh, during the Jim Crow era, and even before that, you know, they would they would they would accuse you, prosecute you, hang you in the court of public opinion, and that's what that's 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 that's, that's what they did to black men and black people in South Carolina or in, in, in the South. And I'm looking at this thing in comparison to what they're doing to Donald Trump. It's the same thing. It's, 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 it's nothing different. The only, the only difference is Donald Trump is, is, is white. I mean, it's a Democrat model. They go after, the, they go after whomever they think is an enemy with, with reckless abandon and don't care what the consequences are as long as they can damage you know, that person so badly that, that that either you know it kills them, or it defames their name so badly that nobody will have anything to do with them. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, these guys are really, really sick individuals. They're bad people with bad ideas. You know, so so that's what I'm looking at, and and I, I just don't understand. And then that's one of the reasons why I think that so many black men are now turning away from the Democrat Party because of that, because they've seen that. They've, they've, they've felt that, you know, from them, from their from their policies, you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm just looking at this, and I'm just shaking my head because I was just totally, totally shocked when I saw that decision. It's just crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, I wrote this down yesterday morning, first thing on my rundown sheet, the Democrat Party a state to claim to permanent control of the federal government regardless of the will of its people. There's an obsession with the American political left to be in charge of the political levers, the government, the federal government in particular, where all the power lies. So, so, so question this statement. I mean, if I said this statement out loud over a, you know, a, um, a microphone in an auditorium and somebody said, I take exception with that. And, and I would follow up with by saying, Okay, in America, not Venezuela, not Russia, not Ukraine, not, I mean, in, in the good old U.S. of A., not communist China, in the good old U.S. of A., if you are a Trump voter living in Colorado, the court said you can't vote for the front runner. You can't vote for the guy most likely to represent one of our two major political parties. I mean, imagine that, guys. I mean, I don't know if you saw this or not, but some representative of the Venezuelan government said, I never want to hear America lectured anybody about democracy ever again. I mean, when you're when you're getting lectured to by Venezuela about democracy or not, I mean, that that's where we are. So when I say, for red meat and provocative um, sake, Rev, the Democrat Party is staked to claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of the people. And and somebody in the audience, oh, that's crazy. I mean, that's one of those radio show guys. Okay. Today, it may change tomorrow. I mean, the, the Supreme Court may overturn. I think they will if they do their, their job. But today, today, if there was a primary in Colorado and you are a Trump voter, you can't vote for the front runner because the Colorado Supreme Court nominated and appointed by a Democrat governor, said you can't. That's the Democrat Party basically saying, if we can't win elections at the, ba- at the ballot box, we'll win them 
with litigation. We'll win them with lawfare. We can't win the hearts and souls of the American people, so we'll just exclude somebody from being allowed to run against the people that share our vision, share our view, share our disposition, want America to continue to be transformed into something more like Venezuela, more like Russia, more like like China. I mean, that that's not red meat, guys. I mean, that's where we are today. Imagine five years ago, I come on the radio and say, hey, sooner or later, one of these Democrat courts appointed by Democrat governors will take Trump's name off the ballot. Or let's, let's say they take Trump out of the equation. One of these days, somebody's going to take the Republican frontrunner off the ballot because the Democrats don't believe they can win the hearts, minds, and souls, but they're so obsessed. See, they believe they're doing God's work. It's a religion with it. Politics has morphed into a religion, climate change, a religion, uh, welfare, a religion, um, you know, tax increases, a religion. Everything they believe in, they become obsessed with, and they'll not hear any, any ancillary opinions, any alternative. No, no, I know what needs to be done, and I'm so committed and obsessed by it that I'm willing to take the guy that may stop us from getting our way off the ballot. I don't know that we can beat him at the ballot box. So what do we do? Just take him off the ballot. And we're worried about Vladimir Putin. Let's go to the phone. Here's Daphne and Dylan. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, Number one, the president of the United States swears to uphold the law. It started back with Obama. He discarded the law completely. He did not care when he shut down the rigs off the Gulf of Mexico. He discarded the law that put a stay on it, said, I don't care. When they told him that he could not make all these illegals that were in the U.S. from the age of 1 to 34 citizens, he went around them and did DACA. Now, what Joe Biden has done, we have immigration laws, and you will hear over and over and over again, policy needs to change. It's not a policy. We have immigration laws, and you'll hear them over and over again. Both the rhinos and the Democrats say comprehensive immigration reform. That means they want to legalize all the immigrants, the 5 million illegals that have crossed our border, that the uh, uh, Border Patrol were ordered to just, when they come to the gate, give them a pass and a, and a, and a, 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 a court date that may be 10 years further into the future. And if they want to fly to another state, by all means, Joe will give them a plane and fly them in the middle of the night to sanctuary cities where they cannot be uh, put out. So that is that. The other thing about voting, they are disenfranchising 75 million people from voting. And if you would listen to the, the interview between Google and Strauss uh, Kloss, who is the uh, World Economic Forum and the guy who controls the levers of the UN, you will hear him say 
that the digital and the uh, the internet will do away with the necessity to vote. So there's where they're headed. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate it. You know, there's some irony in this. I mean, it's serious biz, but there there's a lot of irony here. The party that talks about Jim Crow and voting rights, I mean, they're telling the Trump voter in Colorado that doesn't apply to you. I mean, you, you're one of them. You're a deplorable. You're 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 a you're unwashed. I mean, you're you're uncleansed. I mean, you, you know, you don't know any better than to vote for this moron, this this this, this carnival barker. So we're going to save you from from yourself. The irony. I mean, it's rich, guys. I mean, it really is. The Democrat Party argues that they are a champion for voting rights. I mean, they want to make sure everybody has a fair chance to vote for the leader of the free world, come hell or high water. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to do everything Heard we it can. over and over and over Unless again. you're one of them. Unless you're a Trump voter in Colorado or Michigan <laughs> or Cal- I mean, California is doing it now. Lieutenant Governor yesterday um, said, you know, take him off the ballot in, in California. Um, so, yeah, they're champions of voting rights as long as you're voting for their side. But if they don't believe you're voting for their side, they're not quite the champions. <laughs> as I said yesterday, in typical Seinfeld fashion. Ready? No Trump for you. <laughs> no Trump for you. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number is someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Pete in Florence. Good morning. Good morning. This is uh, Pete from Florence. I I, uh, I was just thinking about uh, remind everybody to uh, in this season of giving the, the people that make your life easier and better, remember to give them a little something. I took my garbage out this morning, and I think, you know, I gave these guys a, a few, uh, a little gift every year, and they act like, you know, that it saves me a trip every week or two to the dump and all that, and they they really make my life better. So uh, I, I encourage people to remember these people and uh, give them a little something this year. Thank you, Pete. Very kind of you. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that's a um, good idea. Yeah, but being a good person, well, that's hard, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's it's really not. I mean, being a good person, speaking of giving, I mean, this will be our last plea. Maybe we do it again tomorrow. Um, youth mentors of the PD and the Boys and Girls Club of the PD identified six anonymous families. Um, out of that came a an organized effort to raise money to allow some of these ladies at Community Broadcasters and Pepsi to go shopping in the name of Mr. Frank Avant. I'm being repetitive and redundant. The most generous person that I think I ever rubbed shoulders with. And I was proud and honored to have known him. The entire Avant family and Pepsi of Florence have always been very supportive of what we do here at Wake Up Carolina. So to basically honor and pay respect to his legacy, um, we're trying to raise money. We've raised a good bit of money. We dropped the ball to begin with. We had a snafu a glitch, some sort of um, problem in the computer software to begin with. We've got all that fixed up. Uh, Pepsi, Cola, Florence, Swap Payment Solution, Anderson Brothers Bank, Walk Up Electrical, Hubs Farmland, Trinity Auto Glass have all stepped up and become sponsors of this fundraiser that tries to raise the money so these ladies can go shop for um, these six anonymous families who aren't going to have much of a Christmas at all. So, so we are a family, whether you want to be or not, we're a little bit like a family. We get along at times at other times we don't uh, much get along, but, but right now, one last time, I want to ask you to make a, a consideration to give some of you can give, 
um, substantial money. Some give very little, but it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever you can give helps us meet our goal, allows us to provide a Christmas for these six anonymous families. And I can't think of a better person than Mr. Avant to honor in the spirit of charity, in the spirit of giving. Um, it's just important to us. I mean, it really and truly is. And we've been blessed that you've allowed us to be a small part of your day whenever you choose to. We appreciate that more than you know. We hardly ever ask you to do anything but listen and call, but we need you to help us meet our number so we can make sure we're able to do what we need to do on behalf of these six anonymous families. And, and once again, I think Rev will admit we goofed up at the get-go and got a, a bit behind. snafu at the beginning. But we've got all Resolved. that fixed, and, um, and I'm pleading with you to consider Make it a donation, a contribution. How do they do that, Rev? Yeah, the fix to the snafu was getting a direct URL link into the donation page, which is PepsiSeasonOfGiving.com. PepsiSeasonOfGiving.com takes you right there. Now, at this point, um, the, the people that do the legwork on this endeavor have done the legwork. They've they've done the shopping. We have all the gifts uh, you know, gathered, prepared, and then given to uh, – to the organizations that are distributing them to the families in time for Christmas. Obviously we're just a, a few days away at this point. Um, and of course we're just making sure the numbers work now with the, the financing of what we're doing and with your help. And it's it been tremendous. I mean, yeah, the, we went and got all the stuff. Now we got to pay for it. Yeah. Basically. I think that's what Red's saying. Basically. And, uh, and, and really there's been, a, there's been a lot of donations. Every one of them is appreciated. If, uh, if you've, if you've listened and you haven't done it yet and you were considering it, it's uh, it's time. And then we'll be, Good to go. I think we're in pretty good shape. Though. Am I overstating how charitable Mr. Event was? Oh, I don't think so at all. But but like you have pointed out, it was very anonymous. I mean, you didn't really know at the time. I mean, you, you knew um, he was a philanthropist and he was involved in many things in our community. But it's it's been, I guess, become more well-known since he passed uh, how much he was. He would be mad at you and I. He would be I think frustrated right. by the two yeah. of us. Why did y'all put my name on this? I mean, don't do that. I mean, let's <laughs> go raise some money for families that need help and just leave, let me be, you know, uh, leave, leave me alone. But yeah. um, uh, the, the, the Christmas season seems to be a time that people are a little more charitable, a little more appreciative of what they have in contrast to what others. And I think Pete made an interesting point. Uh, we all support one another in the weirdest ways. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of people who are very important in my life. Do I tell them thank you enough? No, I know I don't. I mean, there's no doubt I don't tell them um, thank you enough. But this is the time of year we can remind people, demonstrate, show uh, to to our friends and confidants and associates how much they mean um, to us. And it's not always buying a big gift. I mean, it's not always extreme measures. Sometimes it's just a simple thank you, you know, a little tip here, a little tip there True. to show um, some degree of, um, and of appreciation. You, nothing, nothing makes me feel better than when we see, because a lot of the gifts, we, we organize them here at the radio station. We have a warehouse area that they work, and, and they wrap some of the gifts. And to see our folks working on that and gathering and organizing, and then you know we take them and, and deliver them uh, out the door uh, to the organizations, uh, that is a really fulfilling thing to see. It, it's very cool. We and, had and it's one not, it's not us doing it. It's, it's the donations. It may have been last year, the year before, someone wanted bunk beds. Mm -hmm. And we delivered the bunk beds in a box. And the lady, uh, the mom said, I want to put them together. 
And I think they stayed and helped her put them together. And I mean, just the joy on the kids' face, the two kids' face, when they woke up the next morning and they'd been shared a bed, a single bed, two kids sleeping in a single bed and they wanted the bunk beds. And, um, and she didn't want them in a box. I mean, she didn't want them to wake up and, and, and see the boxes there. She wanted to wake up and see the bunk bed there. And our, um, our people here at community broadcasters, I, I guess, grabbed a couple of wrenches and helped assemble. Um, and I do believe that the devil's behind that. I mean, I think that's the, de- the work of the devil, uh, uh assembly in minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't um, work. Well, it never works out like it's that. either the devil or God's really testing <laughs> who his true disciples are. Um, because I have slung more wrenches and yelled more things. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> how far will a nine sixteenth wrench go against the wind? Christmas nineteen ninety eight. I think I broke the all time <laughs> the all time record. As we say in the country rev, I flung it mm-hmm. about as far as you can fling one. Relate. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I would give the number, but we're about out of time here. Uh, tomorrow. I don't have any idea what we're doing tomorrow. So last day of the year for us, uh, we may, I may try to, during the course of today, review some of the more important stories that we covered. Maybe you can help us with that. Uh, Maybe you, the listeners, can say, hey, remember in March when we talked about this or in January when we talked about that? Kind of a year countdown, end of year. Year in review. review. Yeah, year end uh, review. Enjoy your day. We'll be back at it bright and early tomorrow morning.